All right, y'all, it's spring, and you know what that means. It's time to start planning our summer festival traveling. Yep, it's time to get into my Airbnb bag cross-country, a.k.a. uh, time to visit my homes all across the country. And you know what I never think about? Why not list my own spot on Airbnb and host some folks at my house? I mean, my house is cute. Yes, let's make money while we're spending money. Just trying to help you out, man, because your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count. For your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Course Love Supreme is a production of iHeartRadio. This classic episode was produced by the team at Pandora. Yo, yo, what up? This is Fonte back again with another QLS classic. This one, we take this one back to October 16, 2016. This was episode six of our show where we sat down with one of the most iconic managers in all of music, Shep Gordon. He came in to Questlove Supreme and he talked about his time with Luther Vandross, Tim Pendergrass, Alice Cooper, and countless others. This was a really fun episode. Uh, Shep was a lot of fun. Y'all enjoy this QLS classic. It's Fonte Lowe. Yep. Suprema, Suprema roll call. Suprema, Suprema roll call. Suprema, Suprema roll call. My name is Questlove. Yeah. I have a fence. Yeah. Don't get mad, Steve. Yeah. I didn't rhyme the word you think I was going to Suprema, Suprema roll call. Suprema, Suprema roll call. My name is Fonte. Yeah. I am a trooper. Yeah. My favorite singer. Yeah. Was Jerry Carlufa. Suprema, Suprema roll call. Suprema, Suprema roll call. My name is Sugar. Yeah. You know my stench. Yeah. It's nice to meet you. Yeah. Superman. Suprema, Suprema roll call. Suprema, Suprema roll call. Boss Bill is here. Yeah. Quest Love Supreme. Yeah. Thank you for listening. Yeah. To this Pandora stream. Suprema, Suprema roll call. Suprema, Suprema roll call. My name's Laia. Yeah. I love the brothers. Yeah. But Shep. Yeah. Got me thinking about the others. Hey, man. Hey. Suprema, Suprema roll call. Suprema, Suprema roll call. My name is Shep. Yeah. I come from Maui. Yeah. I'm looking for a joint. Yeah. And I have no idea how to rhyme that. Right. <laughs> <laughs>
What's up, ladies and gentlemen? This is Questlove. How you doing? We are live at Electric Lady Studios. I'm sitting here with Team Supreme. How you doing, guys? Right on, right on. <laughs> Solid. <laughs> oh man. I'm really I'm really uh excited today because um the the guru of all gurus, uh one of the best, most powerful managers, most effective managers in music, uh, is with us today, Shep Gordon. Um, he, I mean, some of the greatest, uh, name him, Luther Vandross, uh, Alice Cooper. Blondie. Blondie. Teddy Pendergrass. Teddy Pendergrass. Emeril Lagasse. Uh, um, yeah. Wait, food? He does food too? He do food he do too. That's amazing. Yes, of course. He he invented the, the, the foodie, so... Um, we're just going to try and pre I, I actually want to pick his brain just not many people know that have seen the super Minch documentary that Mike Myers did mm -hmm. for those that don't know when they were shooting Wayne's world and uh, requested uh, Alice Cooper to come on the movie to do a cameo. We're not worthy. We're not worthy. Um, that's how Mike Myers got to know Shep Gordon. And when he heard his life story, he was like, one day I'm going to make a story of your life. So, I mean, some 19, 20 years later, he made that documentary. But um, because Shep's clientele is so uh, expansive and, and, and large, um, not many people know that he has managed some of the greatest, most powerful names in, in black music. I mean, they cover Teddy Pendergrass, but I mean... As we mentioned, like Midnight Star, Midnight Star, Point Rick James, and the Point, yeah, Kenny Loggins, yes. right? Yeah. For real though, Kenny Loggins was black. Kenny Loggins, was, black. Like Kenny, Kenny Loggins was black for a couple yeah, of years. One of the yeah. great yeah. black voices of our time. Thank yeah. him, Justin. All right, so yeah. <laughs> yeah, you're right. You're right. So we're going to pick his brain a little bit. Um, but you know, how, how, I want to know how you guys are doing. How, what's up, uh, Fonte? Man, I'm in the middle of trying to move from my goddamn house. Shit is tiring. Shit is tiring. Man. You doing it on your own? Hell no, I'm hiring movers. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, what part is tiring? Well, <laughs> it's, it's just like, because you don't realize how much shit you have until you start taking away shit that you sit your shit on. So like, you, you know what I mean? So like, you know what I mean? So oh, you I'm, got a t little TV on the big TV? Or? I'm not that gutter. Not yet, no, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm past the tech. Did you once have a small TV on the? Absolutely. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. so we had the we had the, the floor model that didn't work, and then we had the TV, TV on, on top, top of it. Yep. It that you know that did that had you know it had the big back a little bit. So nah, man. But nah, I'm I'm in the process of moving. You know what I'm saying? And um. Packing up all my music, and that's like been the biggest thing, like clearing my media rack with all my like CDs and vinyl and DVDs. So you, and you shit. still keep your CDs and your cassettes? I now nah, my cassettes I don't, but my CDs I do. I, my my whole thing is like now you're gonna have to downsize that. You're like I did. I have I have downsized. I called the herd. I think I got like maybe like 200 copies of the 200 CDs away 
I, so I got 200 out. And it was just stuff that... You threw them away? No, no, no. I didn't throw them away. I didn't throw them away. I donated them. I donated them like to Goodwill or whatever. So you're not okay. seeing them again. You would have hated me in 2009. I'll, I'll tell Wait, you story. gave stuff away? I threw stuff away. Oh, wow. What did you throw away? I just a whole month, like this was right at the end of my, my record label days. So okay. I had a ton of just promos shitty promos and, shit. and stuff that mm-hmm. couldn't sell them for anything. So I just put them out on the corner. Yeah, like, I used to wow. sell them on Amazon for like five dollars. See, that was like too much work. Oops, did I just say? Yeah, it's like, do I really Game need theory. three copies of White Tea by the franchise boys? <laughs> Yo, <laughs> I mean that's exactly the kind of stuff right. I was throwing out. You know, all those crappy Universal Records promos in the blue sleeves that nobody bought. So. <laughs> hey, I, I won't lie, like. We realized that if we went up to uh, Geffen Records and jack a couple boxes, we could sell them and make cash. So there was a period where we were like stealing our own promos. That was big red bootlegging your own shit. Yeah, but but after a while, they're like, "Talk, I don't need no more distortion and static, yo. I already got like two hundred copies." Wow. <laughs> so, but yeah, that's been me, man. Just like packing up and like getting rid of shit and uh, handling life stuff. It's it's I've, it's it's been interesting being absolved into the quest love universe. Mm. Cause you are on your own time, <laughs> and uh, it is it is a lot. You know what I'm saying? But we do it because we love you, our great cult leader. You better be honest. What are you? you know what I'm saying? Honest bug just now. Now, him. Feel, wait, stop it, all of you, stop it. I know. Why you? I ain't, I ain't said shit. Please, Fonte. That's that was. Yo, no, we do it. Look, we do it in service of of he our fear. I'm honored and to be in your presence. I work for this really great guy. <laughs> <laughs> all right, I'm skipping all of you. Actually, we have we have someone new in our midst. Actually, Scott is like our boss. He, he your boss He's deals the boss bosses. of bosses. He's the boss of bosses. Pretty much, yeah. 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 When I, I at first I didn't like you around because I just felt this pressure. Well, <laughs> well let's be clear. Going. Yeah. Let's be clear. You used to stand behind yeah, me like right. the like the, the like the angel of death. Yes. Well, I got seated there. I didn't actually choose that place, but I did. I felt bad about being. There yeah, he did. He, he did. He actually hit me up the next day and he was like, "Oh man, I hope he didn't feel this." I mean, you know, like the Family Guy episode where like the angel of death is just chilling, talking right, right. to Peter. Like any second he can die. Like. Any email I've ever gotten from Scott, I'm like, oh shit, I just lost the show. I lost the show. <laughs> the show's going. How are we doing, Scott? Great. Okay. It's amazing. No, no, I mean literally, how are we? Yeah. Oh. Quest- <laughs> right. oh, sorry. I thought Will you, we have a thought job you cared about this me. time no, next year? Like- yes. What what is what is the what is the need for us to always check that if we're gonna yeah. have employment? Yo, like, I think that's some black shit, man. Like we Listen. I think we're always like, okay, uh, with, like I think every every black person that has, has had some success, like we're always secretly like waiting yeah. for like that white before. man to come and just take everything <laughs> away. Like, you know, seriously, I was funny. I was literally just thinking my going through my work history and like pretty much any time I got an email from any any uh, my supervisors right. or whatever, I was like, oh, that's it. <laughs> any time, yeah. Ah, let's let's hope in the future that I still have my eighteen jobs. That's that's all I'm saying. So. Uh, Steve, how how you doing, pal? I'm good. How are you? I'm great. Um, is it good to be back at Electric Lady Studios? Oh yeah, this is amazing. I love being here. Vibe is great. Staff is great. All the memories and Steve, so forth. Steve, you, you started from the bottom here, right? And look at me now. I'm here. Hmm. Look at me. Now. Is that the he, line? Literally. No, that's <laughs> not he turned into, he turned into Phil Collins. <laughs> started from the bottom and take a look at me now. <laughs> Feel the God. No, I feel good. I miss Bill Sherman, who's not here, so I'm going to be doing this. 
Where is Bill? <laughs> to make up for Bill. Bill, Bill, unpaid Bill is in L.A. He is working uh, on um, a TV show that he and I both will be nice employed on. Okay, you know what I'm saying so. See, you getting your jobs on? I'm getting my job. Yo, I told you, Quest Love is. I want to be like Quest Love when I you go. Getting your job, bro. I'm getting. I'm getting my jobs up, man. That's perfect. That's so, awesome. I'm not complaining. So. Uh, of course, uh, our special guest today on Questlove Supreme. Um, what can I say? I mean, uh, at the uh, the very beginning of the the Tonight Show, uh, we had a guest, Mike Myers, on promoting a movie, a documentary called Supermensch. Yep. And uh, on Netflix right now. On, yes, it's on Netflix right now, <laughs> and it instantly caught my attention because I mean, you know, I thought I was going to see a music documentary and. Instead, I got a life lesson. Yeah, it was like the greatest TED talk ever. <laughs> yeah, but like not way cooler than a the TED more talk. <laughs> the most creative TED talk of all time. Way right. more emotional. <laughs> yeah. So you know about our next guest, uh, Shep Gordon is. I mean, he's a guru. He's a manager, an organizer, a conceptualizer, uh, and most importantly, he's a friend to everyone. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to. Quest Love Supreme, Shep Gordon. Yes. Thank oh, you. Yes. Yo. Aloha, thank you. Thank you. Thanks for the Netflix plug. I'd like oh, yeah, man. Thank yeah, I, I, we watched it. I watched it uh, the, for the first time a couple nights ago. And I remember one of the first things I can remember, you know, when you know, we get into the business, my friend of mine told me, he was like, your manager has got to be, whoever you choose as your manager, that has got to be the guy that knows where all your bodies are buried. Mm -hmm. Like that's got to be the no guy. secrets. Yeah. None. Yeah. It's got to know everything. Whatever, mm -hmm. whatever drug you on, whoever girl you sleeping with, yeah. whatever, all the dirt. Like your manager has to be the guy to know it because he's the guy that has to protect you from it. You know. What I mean? <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? So, so, so you see, you're saying that if you were to pass away, you have somebody to oh, oh, totally run yeah. to the house and clean up a little bit. Oh before. yeah, I, you, everyone, brother. Everyone needs a Mr. Wolf. Everyone needs a Mr. Wolf. And watching the Super Mitch documentary, I was just like, yo, Shep Gordon is the ultimate Mr. Wolf. Like, he's the ultimate, like, manager that anyone could ever wish for. Now, we're, we're broadcasting here uh, at, our, at our home in Electric Lady. And, I, you know, of course, of your connection with uh, Jimi Hendrix, uh, you said you were here when he... Yeah, I, I lived on 9th Street. Um, and Fifth Avenue. Okay. And um, I had a good friend of mine, Alan Douglas, who had a, a a daughter who was the same age as a child I was raising. And he was here at the time um, doing some over... Jimmy had passed away. Okay. And um, this was the first album coming out after he passed away. They brought in John McLaughlin and a bunch of people to play on it. Mm -hmm. They said that they had found the guitar part only. Right. Um, and rebuilt the record, and um, I used to drop my the girl I was not my daughter, but the girl I was raising here, and, and they'd babysit for her while they were here? working here at the Electric Ladyland. Wow! <laughs> yeah, because it was all part of you know, it was, it was such a different business then. You know, wow. it was a family. We all knew each other. It wasn't it wasn't like um, random people were coming in to use the studio. There was no studio business. It was basically acts that were signed by a record company mm -hmm. and everybody sort of knew so it was very family see that's when when uh i did my residency here back in i started in 97 was eddie kramer here then 
Uh, you know, the first year, uh, they that's when they first started to re-release uh, a lot of the hidden, uh, not the hidden, the, uh, the unreleased uh, Hendrix right. stuff. Um, so Janie, Hendrix, and, and Eddie had crazy stories for us. Like, they played us all these tapes and everything. And, um, you know, like, it's funny. Like, this was like, a, I consider this my my home because I did like a majority of my work at the studio from like 97 to like 2004. And I think like between 98 and 2002, like, I mean, there'd be times where I just like slept here in the studio. Yeah. Like, but they, that, was, that was the way it was then. That was, was sort of the way it was. You know, you came in, you'd spend 60 days, 45 days. You'd sort of live here. You'd do your record. Um, it was a different... The, the recording process was a very, I think, I, I never recorded, so I don't know, but mm-hmm. it, I think a very different process. It was a, uh, it was much more a creative collaboration. And if someone was in Studio B, you'd bring them in and they'd... Same thing, yeah. yeah. They'd work on the record with you. It wasn't this territorial, yeah, weird thing. The same thing here. Like, we would, there'd be clients in the C room upstairs and we'd be in the A room downstairs and then we sneak over and yeah. be see what they're up to. I need to. a background vocal. Anybody? Uh, yeah. yeah. And coach people and, <laughs> right. and do that. Um, so you're, for those that haven't seen the film, um, I guess you, what the, the beginning of your, your management career was what, Alex six, Cooper, 69, yeah. 69. And uh, I mean, at the, at the time, I mean, for me, like a manager, there's two types of manager. One's is like super established. Like if you go to like a, a company and mm-hmm. someone that's like ultra established and then someone that's just your road buddy that's organized. And yeah. I mean, you haven't, haven't had any experience in the music business. Like were you kind of worried about how to navigate? You know, I never really thought about it. I, I did it as a, mine was a cover. Um, I got into being a manager so I, if someone asked me how did I make a living, I could say I was I was a manager. Jimi Hendrix said to me one, he said, I was I was a dealer, and uh, on a very low level, and, um, <laughs> <laughs> and um, he said, what are you going to do if the police ask you where you make your money? You know, and where I grew up, you need to you wear a new watch. You better be able to tell the cop where you got the watch. And I said, you know, I'm a middle class Jew. They did. Long Island, they don't police don't come to you. Yeah, I was about to say, like, yeah, yeah. was it equal happen. opportunity? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah. <laughs> but that's crazy because in watching the documentary, I sat there and I wondered. I was like, at the point where you and Alex Cooper said, "Okay, we're going to do this," you had to have more expertise than just a dealer. Like, how no, did not you? At all. Not nah, at, no, no. You'd be amazed what no, a drug I, dealer I, could teach you about what. This. And you know what, Alice? <laughs> Alice says uh, uh, his words are. Shep and I met on a lie. I told him I was a singer. He told me he was a manager. <laughs> wow. But what, what happened was um, people started getting busted around me, and I didn't want to deal anymore. So I sat down with Alice, and I said, I have no idea what I'm doing. And he said, I have no idea what I'm doing. And I said, well, let's figure it out and get rich, and let's agree to stay together till we did. And so we, we, I never thought of myself as a manager. It was trying to earn lunch. I didn't even know what a manager was. There was no rules for a manager. I had never met a manager. Um, but I had this idea that um, if we could piss off parents, kids would come to us and that we could hire people to make music. Um, and that's where we focused. And that's where all of our stunts came from. Our focus at, at band meetings was 
how do we piss off parents? And that's where the chicken came from, and that's wow. where the name came from. Now, okay, from our from our side of the fence, especially because we're not the target rock audience, right? Like, I'm certain that you know both you, Fonte, and I'm talking to Fonte right now. Like, we we were brought up at least in this Baptist or Christian background, very much so. Where it didn't take like, much to piss off our parents. Yeah, well, I mean, not, not the Jewish the- world either. Oh, let me right. say. It's, it's just like. From our point of view, it's always like I was taught, especially the church I went to, like this Pentecostal church. Oh God, yeah, in which hardcore. everything was of the devil and the Satan. You know, like you, you would look at these, you know, you look at Ozzy Osbourne covers or or Blue Oyster Cult and like all these things, and you're yeah. thinking like, oh man, there's a temple of devil worship. And basically, <laughs> it was just like a marketing scheme. Like, how can we? Yeah. Like, you were doing exactly. And by the way, Alice's father was a minister. His grandfather was the head of the Church of Jesus Christ in America. <laughs> he married the daughter of a minister. What? Wow. He reads the Bible every morning at 5 o'clock, since I know him. He goes to church on Sundays, and I had to hide all that because I said, Wait, know, really? Pe- well, yeah, people are going to like you. We can't have them like <laughs> you. They like need you. to hate you. So that, even, but, that was really our biggest challenge was, was not giving up who he was. But that's it's amazing, what, though, man. I mean, because that's like a clear, like showing just the difference between your persona versus your identity. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? And the fact that he could hold on to who he was and not get lost. In well, he did. Was, he did? Oh, yeah, yeah. He got consumed. He went to rehab. He hit the bottom. He, But I think most people who hit that level of fame, especially if they've done it as entertainers, have to deal with that moment where... Um, they're not being fulfilled. There's very few of the number oneers that I've come across who mm-hmm. don't need a, an adjustment somewhere along the way, who don't fall to something. You know, um, I've had so many. You know, Teddy's not around. Luther's not around. Um, all the people I grew up with, Jimi Hendrix died at 27. Morrison at 27. Um, there, there were always was a link between fame and and um, using crutches that really hurt you. What do you think that link is like? Why do you think? I, I, you know, I think in I don't know in the general world, but I think in the entertain in the world that I lived in, which was live entertainers, mm-hmm. the rejection is so gigantic to get to a place of success. It's oh. it's so overwhelming that if it's just if your goal is to just make a living or to have a career, you can't take all that rejection. So normally it's to fill some hole in you oh. that you think that applause is gonna fill some hole for you and it doesn't. And then you just get angrier and you use more crutches and you know, hopefully you take a small fall and you come back. Well, let me ask, I, okay, m- the way that my manager uh, taught us to cope with it, uh, and this is really weird because everyone around me was like, he's so negative. Why do you embrace like all that negativity? <laughs> and my mom, you know, she had problems with him and everything, but what I realized he was doing by the first year was he was just preparing us to not have any expectations. Like he told, he told this me is Richard Nichols. Yeah, Richard those, Nichols. Yeah. So, like Richard was basically like, you know, he's like, I'm not preparing you guys for stardom. Like, I want you to have a long term career. So I'd rather you guys, you know, live better than the average jazz musician. Mm. You know, now because we're in hip hop you're instantly thinking of this ticker tape parade or what Rich called the Bentley moment. 
Mm-hmm. Like, like think of think of I know that moment. Think of like a, a think of like your most salacious hype Williams video in slow right, motion. Yeah, completely. Pouring champagne all over women like yeah. that that you know, and he just wanted for us to sort of just get rid of that expectation. Like he would always say, just lower your expectation. Mm. And maybe the first year we started taking it personal and point fingers at each other. It's your fault. And well, you drum to a drum click. The DJs will play like all this, the, you know, and then I will say that I'll, I'll say that protecting our, ourselves helped us help me and Tariq in the long run. Okay. I mean, some of us sort of fell by the waysides and kind of succumbed to different vices and whatnot, but at least for Tariq and I, it kind of helped us. But then again, like 20 years later into it, I don't know if it's made us immune to emotional feelings. Like uh, I've, I've, so you don't feel the good. So when you say that, you mean like you don't feel the good stuff either? Well, like, I don't, yeah, I don't feel anything. Gotcha. And it's no. like, it's to the point where it's just like, Amir, Stevie Wonder's on the show. Oh my God. Yeah, that's cool. Oh my God, I mean, like, what? 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 what Ten years ago, you would have been like, right. and that's the thing. Like, I had to numb myself so much to protect, to keep myself from forming a drug habit or right, suicide right. or whatever mm-hmm. the vices that artists get into. That now, as a forty-plus-year-old man, like, it. Now I'm trying to get emotions back, and it's it's. <laughs> <laughs> Help him, Chef. Do you? It's weird. Yeah, no, it's funny you should say that because I. I from a completely the other side, I've come to the same place. Um, wow. I, I I have people ask me, "Is there anything you regret?" That was one of the questions that's been asked, and I say, you know, um, one of the most satisfying nights of my life was Alice getting in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. It was forty years of hard work, right? Um, and really amazing. And I went home and looked in the mirror and said. It worked. I got into bed and watched CNN 15 minutes after the thing. I didn't go to the party. I wish I could have shared in the love. And I said to Alice the next day, you know, it's weird. I, I've always been like this. I don't know why. And he said, well, I was in bed 15 minutes after watching a movie. <laughs> <laughs> and, but So we come up from the other side because we, I managed them exactly the opposite way. I used to sit them in a room. And I would, I, I would always tell clients, if I do my job perfectly, it's very possible I'll kill you um, <laughs> because I'll make you so famous that you're going to kill yourself or hurt yourself. And, but I would tell them that and say, that's what I do for a living. It's the only thing I know how to do. Other guys will make you more money. Other guys will do a lot of stuff better than me. I know how to make you really famous. And um, So is it almost... Is it almost better to go for second place i don't know better i don't uh, you know hard for me to judge but i think you, you do what you know how to do um i think it's um i think better like if i have someone i love um i'm going through it now with uh, my assistant's um, daughter who i love who's very talented mm-hmm. very beautiful a lot of record companies are trying to sign her and and i take her and i hug her and i say why don't you become a school teacher and have three kids? Because you're you're really happy now, and you're going to work for thirty years. The goal to be happy, and you're going to have to unwind a lot of stuff if you're successful. 
because that's really the goal, I think, for most people is get happy, be able to buy dinner. Mm -hmm. That's mine. Joy. Yeah, and I think most artists work at it so hard and they get to the end of the road where they can be happy and they forgot how to be happy. Yeah, it's like yeah, it's the dog. It's literally the dog chasing its own tail. But yeah. I, I will yeah. say that there there is also an insatiable thing going on because you know, like my goal for whew, always, you know, there's always a, a deeper uh, kind of end game every three or four years. Mm-hmm. You know, back at it's like man, just okay, just get one Grammy. Mm-hmm. And I don't, I'll be happy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now yeah. it's like never stops. Ah. Just buy my mom one house, yeah. and I'll be happy. And then, I mean, for now, um, I don't know. Like, okay, what were your personal, my personal, like my my life goals? I don't believe in happy. I believe in satisfied. <clears throat> so, okay, what would? I, uh, okay. Where would you really truly be satisfied? But be. Artists are never honest. Nah, I'm going to keep... Look, man, come on. You know, I always... I never lie to you, brother. For real. All right. All look, right. man, I, we keep it 100. This quest loves supreme, goddamn. That's what we do. <laughs> all right, so look. All right. My happiness for me is, again... Well, my sat- satisfaction. you satisfied. My satisfied. My satisfied. My satisfaction would be when I have enough money in the bank to where I can sit still for three years, at least three years, and, like, not do shit. Like, if I don't, I don't got to go to a show... I ain't got to fucking write not a song. I ain't got to <laughs> sing not one goddamn note. I'm good for like. What about 10 years? 10. Is, ten that, is that I'm like the life though. No, no, no. But I'm like, is all right, is three wait, more wait. realistic to you or 10? Because I had the three-year plan. But then you got and the then three. And then it was like, nah, that didn't Well, know. damn, if I get a bigger house. and You addicted. That's a, that's a different. You got a whole different situation <laughs> it's not a, I think there. that's human nature. I think no, that's it's, a not, quest love nature. No, no, no. I, 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 I think it is human nature. I think for me, this is like my whole thing. And it's kind of, you know, I, I, what, what Shep was saying. You know, my thing was, I remember when I first got in, when I first, when I first, first started, before like we had signed anything, I was working at a call center making $10 an hour. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? And, you know, I'm in college. I mean, I'm working at the fucking call center. It was, I mean, it was a shitty job, but I was like, look, it's $10 an hour. I remember saying to myself specifically, if I could just get to a point in my career where I'm making $10 an hour rhyming, doing what I love to do, I'm good. If I can do, if I can make $10 an hour and not be in this fucking call center and gotta be nice to these people, (laughs) I'm good. And so I got to that point. And so for me, my kind of moment of realization was I got to the point where I made way more than that. I mean, you know, a right. crazy times more. But you still finding yourself asking for more. And so it's like I had to check myself. It's like, man, that was a time in my place. So I so it got to the point where I made twenty dollars out. And it's like, man, I remember that was a point in my Ooh. life I never thought I was good money. Twenty, yeah, really. You know, especially <laughs> in the nineties. Even, even, let's get the right? job. Even now, <laughs> even now, where I am financially, <laughs> twenty dollars. I heard that, and I was like, wait, where can I get that job? <laughs> Hold on, let me let me update my goddamn LinkedIn. So. <laughs> so for me, I just keep that in. I keep that in mind. For me, it's like there were times where whenever I get like depressed or overwhelmed or just whatever the case i remember that there was a day i was praying for the things that i have now absolutely and that's just something really that important. just keeps me yeah. kind of grounded you know what i mean so i say i wake up and physically say thank you every day for absolutely. all the gifts that i have uh, it's, it's 
amazing. I mean, just amazing for all. I mean, all of us were sitting here. We're like, <laughs> I've I've been to your house in Hawaii, so I do the same thing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right, y'all. You know what season it is. Tis the season for spring breaking and planning our summer travel. And if you're like me, you're already in your Airbnb app trying to find which spot is right for you. Now, listen, while I'm looking to spend all this money, what I'm not doing is thinking about making money with Airbnb. See, you got to change your mind state. Make the money while you're spending the money. How, you say, Laia, do I make the money? Well, you host at your house. And I know what you're thinking. I mean, my whole house? Uh, Well, no, you don't have to do your whole house. I mean, you could do a room or, you know, do the whole house. So make some money while you're spending some money this summer. I'm trying to tell you, your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of. A degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global. Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. So I got to ask you, um, because you established that you knew the quote-unquote 27 club, which consisted of uh, Hendrix and... Joplin and uh, uh, Jim Morrison. So, I mean, was this on a a daily or a weekly basis that you would see these people? And I'd see him. I'd see Janice. Janice lived at the motel. It was the Hollywood Landmark Motel, where I is that where the Hyatt is right now? No, it was right next to the Magic Castle on Franklin between uh, Highland and La Brea. It's still there. It's a yeah, yeah. I know where it is. Right, right next to the, the the driveway for the Magic Castle. Yeah, and um. Janice lived there, so when she wasn't on the road, she was there every day, and um, with her Southern Comfort bottle, and usually a guy in tow, and uh, a revolving door guy. Right. Jim would come by once in a while. wasn't there all the time. The Chambers brothers lived there, right. so they oh, were there wow. all the time. Um, but it like, was why of, was that particular spot the Hollywood mythical? I think because it was cheap. First of all. Um, it so was, it was cheaper than having your own property, or oh yeah, this was thirty four dollars a night for the room. Oh, oh wow! Um, you know, this was not a fancy. This was a very bare roots hotel. I mean, in those days, thirty four dollars was still something, but it was very cheap. It was a Hotel California swimming pool, two stories around it, mm-hmm. ah. and um, for some reason, you know, it was just music friendly. And 
you'd go to the pool and on a typical afternoon it would be Arthur Lee. Wow. Um, who was really interesting because he, when he was there, he was the creative leader. When they would sit around the pool and really? play, he's the one who would say, you take this, take a background vocal, we'll do this song, you do this. Everybody would look at him. He was the, he was like, they'd bow to Arthur Lee. He was the he was the real power in the room. So you're describing this utopian atmosphere where Arthur Lee and Love and and Janis Joplin would just sing like like on acoustic yeah. guitars. Yeah. And Usually it was Bobby Newworth would yeah. would start it. Bobby Newworth was Bob Dylan's road manager. Yeah, and also became a folk singer later on in his life. He was usually the instigator. Paul Rothschild lived there, who was the producer of um, a lot of the Doors records. Great producer. Right. Um, so they were usually the instigators. And they would bring out, Bobby would bring out his guitar and they'd just start and Janice would jump in and sing and one of the Chambers others would get on like a, a you know, start beating on a garbage pail or something. And wow. That was sort of the rhythm of the place. It wasn't every day. Um, never was organized. Was the general public aware of this? I mean, the way that well, it's celebrity was, hunting now. Yeah, I mean, it was funny. You know, it was pre-AIDS. Right. Um, Lucky for y'all. Yeah, and there was a great, <laughs> there was a great rhythm. You know, you'd like sit at the pool, and um, you'd see like this really pretty girl come in, and she'd be with like Pink Floyd in this room. And then you'd get to the pool the next morning, she'd come out of the chambers of this room, and then you'd come down the next morning and come out of the, you know, someone else's room. The they'd sort of work. Yeah, exactly. They'd sort of work their way around the place. And the GTOs lived there. I don't know if you ever heard of them. The girls together outrageously. No. They were a bunch of groupies who did a recording, recorded an album for Frank Zappa's label, and they were fantastic. They were, it was Miss Christie, Miss This One, Miss That One, and they sort of took care of all the girls and made sure they got fed. And, you know, and they just, wow. I remember the, one of the great days at the pool because it was a different time. It was a free love time. You know, it was really different. Um, but I remember I was down at the pool with, uh, with I think, Lester Chambers, and Bobby Newworth, maybe Rothschild, and we get to the pool, and somebody spots up in the corner an entire line of ladies' lingerie drying out. And we're like hound dogs getting so excited. The ice capades had checked in. Oh, <laughs> oh my God. The combination of y'all Oh my God. Oh my God. What's going on? <laughs> I'm sorry. The ice capades. <laughs> that was the high point of life at the Hollywood landmark. Wow. <laughs> the ice capades were here. It was like, oh my God. I mean, by that point, could you imagine entering mainstream society, or was this just like, oh, I, I'm fine, just yeah, I had no, you know, I, I had no consciousness of what it was, and they weren't really Mount Rushmore people at the time. I was, I had just come out of college. I remember, <laughs> and uh, I, I, I wasn't, I, I had very few female relationships. I was very. I was close to a virgin at this point ah, in my late life. Late bloomer. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, I was a late bloomer. Making sense. And this beautiful blonde was at the pool, and she came and she stayed with me at night, and we made love. And I'm thinking I'm in love. <laughs> and I go downstairs the next day, and she's in Lester Chambers' room. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> <was> like, damn. <laughs> so, you know, one of the things I questioned. Now, the way that you were describing uh, managing Anne Murray. Mm-hmm. Because I was, you know, five or six years old at the time, 
you know, I mean, they weren't calling it Yacht Rock back then or Soft Pop or whatever. Like, it was just always on radio. Yeah. Like, I mean, You Needed Me was, like, played, like, 42 billion times a day. Yeah. Like, in Thank every- you, Lord. <laughs> <laughs> However, are you saying at one point she was a hard sell? Because Oh, she was a very tough sell. What so made, that was you that got her on the Muppet Show with Alice oh, and, yeah, and yeah, yeah, Midnight yeah. Special and all that yeah, stuff. Yeah, she was a very, she was a very tough sell, but she was amazingly talented in her, in her. I, I don't, I mean, I don't mean this in a negative way. Her narrow highway. Mm. She had one of the greatest, purest voices you ever heard. Yeah, and she had very little recognition of what that meant, or um, that part that it wasn't just the voice you had to be an entertainer so she was this pure vessel completely as far away from alice as you could possibly get in terms of her attraction in her drawer and um how did she come to your attention i was up in canada doing a pop fest uh a show with john lennon the first time oh, the plastic the chicken show yeah the chicken show oh god and she i turned on the tv there was a guy named brian ahern who was a producer and he said, "You got to watch this TV show. I had the I, I uh, have this girl who teaches gym in Canada, who's singing this song Snowbird, and she's fantastic. You may want to work with her." And it was a summer show, and she had been a, she was a gym teacher who got a job in the summer, on this four week show, and she sang Snowbird, and I heard the song, and I said, whoa, and um, then it started to get some traction on radio, and it got to number one. Right. And when it got to number one, I knew the people at Capitol Re- uh, Records, and um, they and her called me, and I said, "Oh, I know all about you. I was up in Canada. It was great." And um, so, was this truly a time period in which? I mean, I definitely know the '70s before before MTV came to play. And I mean, now you know, image overtakes talent. Like talent right. doesn't even count anymore. Right. Borderline yeah. um, in in every field. But it, right. I mean, are you saying that at one point, at least for a good? 20-year period, talent could account for something in which... Well, I wouldn't go that far. Um, but here here was the difference between then and now, I think, is that um, radio was open to playing things. Mm-hmm. Radio ruled the world. Hit records ruled everything. Um, entertainment, it was a very different world. It, it wasn't like a concert world where you had to be a great performer. Um, and if you could get the record company to spend the money, you could have hit records. And that was my goal with her was to get hit records. And I I got her in this, I decided that I would try and put her next to the biggest stars in the world, take that back to the record company and see if they would treat her like one of the biggest stars in the world. And I got- So it was a hard sell. A very hard sell. Hard sell to her and a hard sell to the record company. Um, but once I got the picture with, I, I, I orchestrated a, an event where John Lennon, Mickey Dolenz, who was gigantic, the monkeys the were monkeys, the yeah. biggest thing in the world then. Um, Harry Nielsen, mm-hmm. who was unbelievably respected um, by the industry, and Alice took a picture with her. And that picture enabled me to sell just about anybody. That was like your soul query picture. <laughs> that was the white soul queries. No, see, that, that photo killed the soul queries. <laughs> we see what you did, Amir. You're out. No, I'm only playing. And that got her on hosting Midnight Special because if John Lennon liked her, she had to be great. 
Um, it just started a circle of stuff that, um, you know, in those days it was much simpler. It was very different. There was nobody really knew who she was till she was famous. There was no internet. You couldn't see how bland she was. Right. Um, None of that stuff got revealed. It was really about getting somebody to pay enough money to get her records on radio. But I mean, by that point, a singer like Helen Reddy had sort of uh, prominent. So you know, she there was a lane at least for. Oh, definitely a lane. Oh, yeah. I've been a lane from all the way back. The the concept of of um, wholesomeness and yeah, and, and not movement and not yeah. entertainer, you know, non entertainment singers. What were her live concerts like? I mean, were they? Say, I mean, for me, I, I, they were uh, boring because they weren't entertaining. But for her audience, she had this beautiful voice. Right. Um, you know, there was um, people would hold hands and wear suits and ties. And, <laughs> wow. <laughs> well, I mean, by the time she had like five or six hits under her belt, then yeah. it was like she established yeah. it. But and, and she turned out to be a very good performer. I mean, she played to her audience. She she really developed, and she got a style. And a, uh, a a a comfort level with the stage and with an audience, and I went to see her a few years after I stopped managing her, and it was really entertaining. I saw her at Riviera. Um, she got a little production in. Right. Um, okay. So the one thing, well, plus and also uh, talking your head off the, the the few times I've met you, uh, I've come to discover. Now, of course, uh, Supermensch does touch on uh, uh, your your history with Teddy Pendergrass. But then later I found out that you damn near managed everyone important <laughs> in black music. <laughs> Which, I mean, Superman's kind of treated like a small footnote, like, oh, and by the way, Rick James, and da 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 No, that, that list at the end of Superman, just, I, I copied that list and wrote it all down of yeah. everybody, and it was like, whoa, okay, yeah. Rick James and Stephanie Mills and Lisa Fisher, which I'm sure Lisa, Luther Mandross wow. was not happy about. Love, no, no, he was very supportive. He was? Oh, she very, was a background singer. Very yeah. supportive. So, yeah. okay, so... The thing I didn't know that was before, be, before, uh, uh, okay, so Teddy went solo in 75, 76. Yeah. You're saying that most black shows that occurred were strictly for radio stations Correct. and DJs yeah. and but, not for pay. And I, I mean, audiences paid. Artists didn't get paid. There was an organization uh, called the Black Promoters Association. Yeah. Um, I don't know if they still exist or not. No, yeah. they don't. <laughs> but they, they were sort of the enforcers. Um, and they had a, a collection of promoters who worked with the radio stations and the record companies. And they kept everybody in line. Um, and it was, a, it, was a, you know, it was a street business. It was a diff- Teddy's last manager before me had been shot to death. That's right. um, it was a tough business. And, and they were making a lot of money. And they didn't want to give it up. And that didn't scare you at all. You know, I never. I, it's funny because you were the. Or did they send you to out. the? They sent you in the line of fire, and then it was like, oh, by the way, uh, my last manager got shot. Yeah, yeah so go is. get him, Sep. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Jew, go get him. <laughs> um, so you're saying like a, a, a cat like? Uh, let me pick a random '70s like Mac Davis. Mac Davis could go out and do, do a whatever gig, he wanted to do, make some money, yeah. but. Teddy went out strictly to ensure that his record could get played on right. the radio. He was he was convinced by by the record company, who profited greatly by the record sales and made nothing on the road, 
the only way he was going to keep getting hit records and keep getting basically the rented car that they give him. Um, yeah, how how would he make money? Yeah, because say, was, yeah, how does he get? Gamble and Huff, if Gamble and Huff are writing the songs, or he Fat and White, he lived a very simple life. He wasn't there were no mansions in any of those guys' lives. There were you know you talk to the OJs, you talk to all these guys in the beginning. They were just working musicians. They were working musicians. Yeah. Until when? Like when do you think well, the for, checks? Um, for me with Teddy, it was um, it had to have been eighty. It was the second solo album. So oh, life yeah. is the song we're singing. Yeah, that's about when we started. That's when. We, 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 our history was that we, um, I, 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 I understood, but once I understood the Chitlin check that we can't do this. So I booked him in Radio City Music Hall mm. and we got picketed and nobody wanted to cross the picket line. The Black Promoters Association picketed us. So was like Al Heyman and those guys a part of it or was yeah. Al Heyman more like the 80s and No, he was 90s. called a part of it, but he was much more neutral. He was the second wave. He was... Okay. The first wave was uh, good guys. I, I I actually got friendly with most of the guys with Jesse Bozeman's, yeah, uh, who I love. One of those names, yeah, great yeah. guy. I mean, it's still a lot of respect for him. But that was their business, and they were able to get away with it, and that's what they did. And um, so I said, I'm you know I'm going to have no, we're not doing this, and I booked Teddy into uh, Radio City, and um, nobody wanted to cross the picket line. I mean, it got it was pretty deep. Jesse Jackson came and picketed. Oh, um, wow. It, it was what? It was deep. Um, so I knew I had to do business with him. Somehow, some way, we had to do business. And um, we ended up making an arrangement with him that um, if Teddy played a institutional building mm -hmm. like Radio City that was where the promoter owned the building, mm -hmm. they would allow us to do it as long as we paid him a fee. Mm. Um, so it's like the mafia. Yeah, but every business. I mean, you know, try and buy laundry in New York and in your restaurant, and uh, you know, it's, it's still the same. It's, it's still, life uh, works the same way. It's just the you're way paying it, tribute to yeah, somebody. Yeah, yeah, it yeah. always works that way. Across the bridge. So that was the way we sort of got out. And then what we did was we just played those kind of places, and finally they came back to us and said, "Okay, we'll let you." Uh, my beef was money, but it was also promotion. Um, they didn't do anything, and I wanted the shows promoted. So we finally made an arrangement that they, we could take a white promoter who has been in the business, mm -hmm. pair him with someone from the Black Promoters Association, give him their 50% of the date, but don't come. Don't do anything. <laughs> right, right. Just leave us alone. <laughs> yeah. um, so all those shows that, are you saying that that was the modus operandi for the average black show? And then, well, what happened is then other people, Earth, Wind, and Fire came on that highway. A lot of acts started to follow that highway, and everything started to sort of disintegrate a little bit, um, and, so with, and it opened up. Um, by the time I got to Rick James, I didn't have to deal with it at all. So, with the exception of like James Brown, you're saying everyone had to go through that that funnel system of. I'm sure James Brown probably went through. Well, it Well, um, I, I know that he yeah. was kind of handling his own business right. or, or whatnot, but that's no, it, that's crazy. That's what it was. It was a chitlin circuit. It's just the way it was. Wow, I, I went to uh, I went to elementary school on uh, in Philadelphia at thirteen uh, three thirteen Broad Street, mm -hmm. uh, which is right next door to Philly International. Yeah, sure, I know so, and that great bar across the street. What yeah. was the name of that bar? I, I forget. Oh, the, there was a great bar in the corner that everybody hung out at. The former Philadelphia International. Well, remember? yeah, now it's yeah. a SLS hotel. Oh, um, oh, is that what it is then? Yeah, oh. yeah, they're about to to build an SLS, but. Uh, 
I could time it perfectly. Like, and I could tell that he might have been on CP time every time because <laughs> I could always. I knew when Teddy Pendergrass was outside. Mm-hmm. It was always like twelve twenty-two, <laughs> like during lunch break. So between like third and sixth grade, like like clockwork, I could catch Teddy Pendergrass right outside, right outside of Philly. Like I've I'd never seen a, a kind of this hard day's night fan mobbing yeah. situation. Wow! And he had a, a, a well, I assume it was a Rolls Royce or whatever. Yeah, it was, it was a white Rolls Royce. Yeah, with like, a license plate Teddy. <laughs> but rented, right? But rented? No, that one I uh, think no, they bought. Was, but, that was, yeah. Okay. Yeah, and I just like I that made an impression on me. Not yeah. like, man, one day I want you want to be a pimp. People. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I mean, but what? I, I know you can't get super personal of it, but I mean, the the hedonistic idea of what a rock star was. I know. That was that for Teddy Pendergrass. Oh, yeah, yeah. Which, yeah. I mean, how not bad did it get? How deep good did it get? How <laughs> extreme? <laughs> because now, well, I'm you know, at, it's, it's, but it's all a matter of 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 levels. And Teddy was probably making more money than he ever thought he'd ever make in his whole life just by the drippings from the side. <laughs> um, you know, he was he's selling millions of records. Mm-hmm. That's a lot of money. So if a couple of hundred thousand maybe went off to him where another a white artist may have gotten a million, mm-hmm. if he's getting a couple of hundred thousand, that's big money. Because you, all you know is what you know. Um, and, you know, so so he was, when I got involved, he was happy. He, he had no problem with going and doing the dates and not getting paid. It was my problem, not his problem. Um, he accepted it as that was the way of life and he was getting enough drippings to come in that he felt like, he was on top of the world. Um, so, how are you able to orchestrate the women-only concerts? Like, were there guards there to stop? <laughs> no, no. I, 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 um, I realized when I thought of it that I, I could get sued if I didn't let guys in. Mm-hmm. Um, and every, you know, everybody told me I couldn't do it because when I just said, hey, if they want to buy a ticket, I don't care if they buy a ticket and come in. I just want the twenty-five million people who aren't attending the concert to, to see think- for women only. I couldn't care if there's a guy in the place. <laughs> no, because well, even uh, I think it, but the best... it made HBO, and yeah. and it was like I think it was only cuts of women. So I only thought it made, it made, that's it all there were. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it did. It did make HBO. Oh, yeah. No men yes. came. No men came at all. I mean, they could have, but they, they were outside. We had a lot of pimps outside waiting for their ladies to come. <laughs> waiting for the let out. Yeah. <laughs> waiting I, for the let out. <laughs> I, I have reason to believe that t- Teddy rocked a few marriages in my family's, uh, <laughs> but my the, extended family's. The uh, best part of those shows is we gave out everybody chocolate teddy bear lollipops. So he'd go into like close the door and you'd see him out in the audience the girls like <laughs> licking the lollipop and biting its head off Teddy. Like. And the panties. Yeah. And the panties. Yeah, and the panties. <laughs> yeah, the panties. Mm. Wow. A lot of panties on stage. Did it ever bother him in the least, or was he just enjoying it? He enjoyed it, yeah. yeah. Uh, Teddy was, I had such a great time working with Teddy. He was one of my, I, I, you know, Alice for me is like an arm, but after Alice, Teddy. Teddy was, um, I was, he's my favorite music. That's what I listen to at home. Right. That's the only thing I play in my house for the last fifteen years is Teddy, and um, 
he just loved being that character. I loved it. It was. Um, I used to have these great conversations with him. I would show up and he, he'd say, "Oh shit, is it is it time?" And I'd say, "Yeah." We called it the "Don't be a schmuck" conversations. And I sort of shut the door and I go, "Man, you're being a schmuck." And, you know, <laughs> am I a schmuck again? And, and I get it off my chest and we deal with it. It was great. You could you could talk. You know, so, with some artists, you have to tiptoe around the issue. You have to figure out a way to get to where you want to go. But with him, you didn't have to tiptoe. I could just tell him, you know, as as un uh, fancy as I could what I felt. So what would be you like could be an blunt issue with him. him? What would be an issue there? Well, I, actually, the for women only came out of it. Okay, um, that's how the concert happened. He played. Um, I got really pissed when I went and did the first Chitlin Circuit show with him. Really pissed me off. It's like you can't let this happen. That's when he told me his manager got killed. And I said, you know, I don't give a shit. I don't have kids. I'm not, I, I don't care. Let him kill me. But I'm not going to be part of this thing. And he said, what do we do? I said, I'm going to book you in the whitest place I can find. And fuck him. Excuse me. No, no. Keep it on it. Keep it on it. And we're going. Uh, so I booked him in the Roxy in L.A., which um, very white bread, Rock, yeah. small club. I don't think a black artist had ever played it at that point. We got a lot of death threats. Um, wow. We got um, we we ended up getting FBI security there. They for sport. what the Black Promoters Association. Oh, okay. Yeah. I, I thought husbands. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so you know, so I'm like risking my life mm-hmm. um, to do this. Um, Rock the Roxy. You're not going to make any money in the Roxy. It's 200 seats, and um, I had only done one show with them. Right, and we get to the Roxy, and he does the whole show sitting on a stool. All the women wanted to do was like grab him and f- fuck his brains out, mm-hmm. and he's sitting on a stool being this really cool Frank Sinatra, yeah, really yeah. cool guy, like you know. And um, I was getting furious, like furious, like I can't believe you're not giving it up. The energy in this room is so strong at you, and you're just you're not. Reacting, you're to not it. engaging. You're them. not engaging it. You're not giving it back to him. You're not doing. So I go upstairs, and this is only my second show with him. And he's got these two security guys, one real big, one real small. And they really don't know me, and they tell me I got to wait. Teddy's getting, you know, changing, which really pisses me off to begin with because I'm used to immediate access. Right. And um, then this parade of women starts coming in, and you know, a woman comes in, and I'm out there. It's 15 minutes later. The next one comes in. It's fi- now it's two o'clock in the morning. <laughs> I've risked my life. I hate the show, and I'm sitting here at two o'clock in the morning. And finally, I get in. You motherfucker! Who the fuck do you think you are? You know, um, I I've risked my life for you to sit on a fucking stool mm. and and like be cool, and then you make me wait till two o'clock in the morning. Go fuck yourself. And he said, hey, man, what do you, what do you expect from me? I said, I'll tell you what I expect from you. Get those women crazy I'll, and let me be the only guy in the room when you're doing it. And I will have the greatest time ever. And then I said, wait a second. Let's do shows for women only. Well, I, ah, I, I do wow. know that. Was... And that was, it came out of that moment wow. of, of don't be a schmuck conversation. Wow. And he said, can we do that? And I said, yeah, I'm sure we, we can do anything we want to do. Let's go do it. <laughs> well, I think before this point, there used to always be two sets of shows. Because even Sam Cooke had 
the show that he did at the Copa, which and then, is the dinner show. Yeah, then the yeah. Apollo show. And then the night, the, and night then at midnight, yeah. Yeah. do the, you know, Rebel Rousing show. Yeah. And James Brown, Motown, like, yeah. I, I think maybe because perhaps Mar- uh, Howard Melvin and the Blue Notes sort of had to have dual shows as well. Like, you play certain places where it's, like, suit and tie and, mm-hmm. you know, because I saw one of their concert tapes where, I mean, they were doing, like, Broadway, Danny Rose, and like, oh stuff like <laughs> "Let Us Entertain You," like uh. songs from Pippin. Yeah, just what you uh, wanted. Yeah. No, they were doing like magic tricks and and wow. I was like, really? I never knew how the Blue Notes <laughs> singing the way we were. You've and all this seen stuff. the shock. Now get ready for the jive. <laughs> right? Oh god. Yeah, but I mean, just pretty much. Even James Brown, like Star Time, was like the hits. Right. But then he'd do some Sinatra stuff. He'd do That's Life and, you know, like, the, I can be serious and play the Copa. Mm-hmm. So maybe that was the mentality. Like, I think he was just trying to be cool. So were the and audience, could, were, the, were, the, were the demographics different as well? Like, did he ever get... No, it was all... It was, it, it, he started at the end to get some white audience. Once okay. he got... Once um, they, the press finally started calling him the Black Elvis. Mm. And that sort of attracted a lot of white women. <laughs> Um, once they said Black Elvis, but up till but never really was gigantic. But it was it was every woman in town. I mean, it was it was fantastic, and they had the greatest time. I mean, it really it paid off. He was an entertainer who paid off. They went home exhausted. Let me ask you a personal question because mm-hmm. in the documentary, some of your friends admit that you love the ladies. I do. You so <laughs> how do. does the police police himself? Because if you were, you know, with these guys like Teddy and Allison, where women were everywhere, was there a moment when you had to go, er, maybe just three tonight or just two or Um No. Okay. <laughs> three. You mean thirty. I, I was just <laughs> no, I, I was I, I I've always um, I've always been very direct. I try to always be honest. Mm-hmm. Um, and in those days, I was overworking. You know, I was I was that was all I had was my work. It's all I cared about. So there wasn't really time for relationships. Okay. So, but I loved women, and I loved sex. Did you have any? Did you have like so, some game? No. What? So what? Not, not great game. Yeah. Okay. Not okay. great game, but great access. Because I had, I was in the midst of all the stars. Always, I was standing next to the people they wanted to be next mm-hmm. to. Everybody wanted to be with the lead singer of a band, and um, so I said to myself, "How could I? I? I don't have the time to romance someone. You know, it's like it's eleven thirty. I got to get up at six. I'm in a hotel room. I don't have time to like. I love you. I love you. And it's not honest. I see everybody else on the road is like telling these girls that they know they're never going to see again." How much they love him, oh my God. just to get him into the bed. And that's dishonest. Yeah, and I said I can't do that. Yeah. So I said, what do I do? I said, well, what's my strength? My strength is that I can get these women a backstage pass to meet the lead singer. So I made up a T-shirt that said, "No head, yeah, no backstage, no backstage pass." pass. Was honest. <laughs> you want in, great. You don't want in, great. No problem at all. <laughs> oh, so it was head based, which that was the what stopped you from having so many thought. Well, I would say thought babies. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Oh, that was very smart. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. It, it eliminated the downside. Yes, <laughs> in so many ways. Fulfilled the upside. So <laughs> was sort of honest and right to the point. <laughs> All right, y'all, you know what season it is. Tis the season for spring breaking and planning our summer travel. 
And if you're like me, you're already in your Airbnb app trying to find which spot is right for you. Now, listen, while I'm looking to spend all this money, what I'm not doing is thinking about making money with Airbnb. See, you got to change your mind state. Make the money while you're spending the money. How, you say, Laia, do I make the money? Well, you host at your house. And I know what you're thinking. I mean, my whole house? Uh, Well, no, you don't have to do your whole house. I mean, you could do a room or, you know, do the whole house. So make some money while you're spending some money this summer. I'm trying to tell you, your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of. A degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global. Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. So, Shep, I got, I gotta, I gotta ask, because uh, I remember, I, again, as a Philadelphian, I remember it so well. But. Can you take us through the, the, like, I believe, like, March of 82, yeah. when you got that phone call? Like, what? Yeah, I, um, I got a phone do, call that do, Teddy had his accident. Do you still remember it? Like, oh, and like it was yesterday. I, remember, I, I don't remember getting to Philly. I remember the elevated, the elevated door in the hospital opening. And uh, Sidonia Walker was there who ran Teddy's office. Mm-hmm. And Karen, who was, I don't know if she was his wife at that point. She had been a singer in the show. Right. She was there. Teddy's mom, who's still alive and just an amazing wow. woman. I mean, like, they should build a statue to her. She is a remarkable woman. Mm-hmm. And um, the doctor, because they had called him that, and um, doors opened, and they said, Mr. the doctor said, Mr. Gordon, I'm glad you're here. Um Teddy is never going to walk again. We're not sure if he's going to live again or not, but it's really important in his recovery for us to tell him rapidly that he's not going to walk again. We found that that's really part of the way, if he's going to come through this thing, he's got to know it now. And Why was that? I have no idea. And everybody... I, like They I just wanted it. you to put in this, like, instantly, bam! And, we, and they said... So and, it's and we, to kill all hope. So you know it's... So you, it's reality, and reality. you know where you're going. Wouldn't that kill his spirit, though? You know, I, he, they, he's strapped to a table um, that they flip every 10 minutes. Yeah, I saw that device. Like, how? And, it, and all he could do is blink. 
That was just the only, you know, like, can you un- can you hear me, Teddy? Blink once, yes. Twice, no. And he'd blink, and then they'd flip him every 10 minutes. And they said, uh, and everybody felt that you should be part of the team to tell him. And within 60 seconds, I'm in his room telling the guy that he's never going to walk again. It was a guy I love. I mean, love Teddy. I can't, I mean, um, still love him. Amazing uh, just an amazing guy you know he 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 gave me the trust not easy um really not easy and um so that was a pretty traumatic moment and i went and i he had some children um i didn't know how many because teddy was he didn't wear the same t-shirt i did (laughs) (laughs) Um, and um he spent everything he had um it's every no matter what, how much he made, he spent it. Mm. So I knew there was no money to take care of everybody. So I decided I had to attach myself emotionally from this. The doctors would take care of him. I would have, I would figure out how to take Jay, care of his family. Right. So um, there was a beer company that had been sponsoring us, who will go unnamed. And I called them up and I explained what happened and told them about the kids. And they agreed to put some money into a trust fund, sizable trust fund. And get the goodwill for the beer company and help Teddy's family and, um, wow. And I thought, okay, got it done with like I think a million dollars or two million dollars. Wow. Go to sleep, wake up in the morning, get the newspaper. The girl in the car with Teddy was a guy. Mm. Front page story. So I knew I would never hear from the beer company ever again, <gasps> which I never did. So they revealed that in the Daily News. Front page. Yeah, you know. I remember. Yeah, I remember. I, I mean, I was really young. The, the reason why I can remember, my mother, she was, I mean, she loved him. Yeah. And <clears throat> that was one of the first times, I, uh, like, with the celebrity, I remember seeing my mother cry. Like, I remember yeah. her when the news broke. And, I mean, I was like three, four years old. Yeah, no, she was, was just crying. Yeah. His and, like, connection to his audience. I've, I've never seen a connection like he had to his audience, to these women. They really felt that. Well, he was one of the few. He was, they would, you know, each one felt personally like, he was their lover, mm-hmm. their son, their husband. It was really a remarkable relationship. Well, it was just very, I mean, he was such a, a masculine figure. Yeah. I yeah. mean, not saying that, you know, there were Handsomest there man I ever saw in my mm-hmm. life. Biggest presence I've ever seen. I mean, he walked in a room and was like, wow. Not for nothing, I memorized his album when I was a little girl, and that was the only album that I knew, and I used to sing and perform it in front of my, uh-huh. my family and friends, so... <laughs> You so, were right about that, all ages. So I wake up and that story's in the newspaper. Yeah. So, so as a manager, how? what do you do then? Like, how, what, So what, what I did then, and it, 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 um, I called Mrs. Pendergrass, um, Ida, and I said, I, I, think we, um, I think we have a problem. I don't think the beer company's going to do what I said they were going to do. Mm-hmm. Um, can I come out to the house and go through all the tapes and see if I can find maybe there's some songs that Teddy's done that haven't been released and I can get someone to pay to put them out. And I found an album's worth of material. Mm. And um, the rest of the story is almost too ugly to tell, but we got him some money. Okay. Um, he he was recording for a record company. Um, I went to to the record company that distributed their record company. CBS, correct? CBS. Um, and they were done? C- CBS agreed to give me a million dollars for Teddy for the tapes. Mm-hmm. Um, but but um, they said they couldn't pay it to us directly. Teddy was signed to PIR, 
they had to give it to PIR. Yeah, Huff. Okay. So I took Teddy's mom and the two kids that I knew of to to Gamble and Huff's office. Okay. I remember sitting in the chair. It was always, King's chair. It was always dramatic to sit there because they sat in two thrones, mm-hmm. and, be, and behind Literally. them were all the black militants, mm. all of whom. So talk, you didn't have a whom, co- all of whom talked about killing people like me. Okay, so you didn't have a good cozy relationship. So with it wasn't. Yeah, it wasn't the warmest place to be. Right. And um, told them what I had done. They got very mad that I went to CBS behind their back, um, but they did finally agree that they would get the check and give it to Teddy, and they did get the check and they gave part of it to Teddy. Um, so that saved us for a while. And um, then I um, I had a, in the contract, there was a soundtrack clause that he could do one album, not on PIR, if it was a soundtrack of a movie. Sue for one. Yeah. So I went to, uh-huh. I went to, um, what, did you work on Sue for one? No, I just know oh, that. Yeah. I was, I've never seen the movie, but I, yeah, yeah. I have that record. No, I worked on that. That was a Marvin Worth movie. Yeah. I, I, uh, anyway. I never knew the yeah. movie ever came out. Yeah. I just knew the album. Yeah. I so um, I uh, made this movie. I started a film company, made a movie called Choose Me. Um, and Teddy got the sound, got an advance from Electra for the soundtrack. Uh, and that's sort of what put him on. Straightened it out, took care of the kids, took care of the mom. So by the time you guys were on the lecture, when he did like the Joy album, uh-huh. with that were things like good financial things? Yes, because Electra stepped up to the line and gave him. Um, uh, uh, there was a fellow named Bob Krasnow. Yeah, Electra. and he had just taken over Electra, and I had promised Teddy that if he um, um, did something legally, that I could get him a million dollars. Gotcha. And he did it. Wow. And the guy reneged on the million dollars. Wow. At Damn. C- at CBS, Walter. Okay. This was after Walter. this. The second, Yentikoff, yeah. Yentikoff. Yeah. This was the second part of the incident. Okay. And I, I didn't know what to do. You know, Teddy's lying there still. Um, I promised him a million dollars. I got him to go against some of his, what he considered his best friends. And I wasn't bringing back the million dollars. And I didn't have a million dollars. Or I would have given it to him. And I went to Bob Krasnow's office, and I told him the story. And he said to me, is Teddy going to live? And I said, I don't know. And uh, he said, well, I can just do me a favor. If he dies, I need to have a tape in my file of him doing something, and I need a script of a movie. You don't have to make the movie. Don't that be him, but i got to have my ass covered. So I like the life rights. and So I went to Luther. And I told him, and I said, can you make yourself sound like Teddy and get me a tape? And he, he, he wrote Choose Me, Luther. He wrote right. the song. Yeah. And he did like 20 generations removed and noise in the background, but we, we had a tape of Choose Me that sort of sounded like Teddy. Right. And I went to a filmmaker I had worked with, a guy named Alan Rudolph, and I said, would you write a script for me? We're never going to make the movie. But I told him the story, and he wrote the script, so we got the money. And I thought everything was pretty good. Teddy was rocking. And then Alan Rudolph called me up about a year later and said, now I need a favor. And I said, what's that? And he said, I want to make the movie. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. So I went went and sold my soul to Chris Blackwell, who had always always wanted to 
me to do, uh, start a film company for him, partner with me. I was I had won the Cannes Film Festival. I was doing pretty good, and um, but I knew that he had a bad reputation as, as, as you know a lot of people who had been with him had been burned. Right. And um, but I said, listen, I'm. I, I know you're sort of devilish, but I will sell my soul to you. <laughs> you told this. You yeah, told him this. I'm always honest against my greater. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and um, and he said, I know people talk about. it. I said, but I'll, I need a million dollars to make this movie. I know you have a record company, but you can't get the soundtrack. But I'll make it up to you somehow, and I'll partner with you. And we'll do great. And I started Island Alive Films, and Choose Me was the first movie. Electric got the soundtrack with Teddy. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, here, wow. here we are. So, wow. Chef, I'm noticing that like you're rolling alone in this situation. Yeah. <laughs> but I know the the business was dangerous in the 70s and the, I mean the 60s, 70s, and 80s because it was mob run. Oh yeah. I mean, how did you get out unscathed? Of I don't know if I'm unscathed. But. Like, what, what is your most <laughs> making out alive? Brother, I would right? say my scariest. What was your moment. most uh, your scathing? I would say my scariest moment, um, and I'll leave the names of the people out. But my only real brush, be, the Black Promoters Association never really came after me hard. Okay, there was never a moment where I said I'm not going to live anymore. I had one second of that. One guy put a gun to my head, but I, I knew he wasn't going to use it. I just knew he was too high profile. He wasn't going to shoot me. So I wasn't even scared. It was just like. So you played it cool. Yeah. Um, But then I was, this is years later, I was in my apartment in New York. It was when Teddy had his accident. I moved to New York for two years. And I went down to Philly every week to see him. Right. And um, I had taken Bob Ezrin, who produced Alice's, uh, his apartment in New York. He let me use for two years. Mm -hmm. And there was a little phone on the side of the bed, a red phone that never rang. I didn't know the number. I have no idea what he used it for. Don't want to know. Mm-hmm. And one day it rang. And hello, Shep Gordon. I said, uh, uh, yeah. Uh, meet me at the corner of. And this really heavy voice. Mm-hmm. You need to meet me at the corner. Okay, hang up the phone. I don't go. Calls the next day, really heavy, like heavy enough that I hired two ex cops to be with me twenty four hours a day. It would, right. You know, how did you get this number A? How did you know I was answering? He knew where my office was, and he had that voice. He was, this was serious Italian kind of, you know, mm-hmm. uh, soprano's voice. Right. And um, the next day I get a phone call from a guy that I had met a few times who everyone had told me was connected, mafia connected. And he calls me up. I guess I could say his name because I think he's dead, Tommy Vistola who ended up going to jail for life for beating up a, uh, a record company guy. Mm. And he says, uh, hey, Shep, how you doing? Uh, Great, Tommy. Uh, how'd you get my number? He said, oh, we got friends, we got friends. And he called on the same phone. Right, right, right. And uh, he says, you know how lucky you are? And I said, what do you mean, Tommy? He says, so I'm having breakfast this morning with the guys. Mm. And one of the guys says, I got to leave early. And I says to him, why do you got to leave early? I got to go bump this guy off, Shep Gordon, up there. Wow. Wow. And he said, you can't bump the guy off. He's with me. And I'm like, now I'm thinking to myself, which is worse, getting bumped off or being with him? Being, yeah. Under somebody's wing. Yeah, yeah, exactly. He's with me. You can't do that. And he says, uh, well, the other guy's dead too, so I can tell the story. He said, 
So you tell you what, kid, meet me at Moish's office this afternoon at 2. Moish was Morris Levy. Ah, oh, uh, Hitman time. So yeah. I go up to Morris Levy's office, who I never met before, with Tommy. He tells a story. And Morris says, you're a lucky kid to have Tommy on your side. You know that? I said, yeah. He said, but you know you should do something for him. <laughs> the flimp thing. Of course. What should I do for him? He said, you know that new Blondie record that's coming out? Um, I own these stores, Strawberries. Um, get me 50,000 clean copies. Clean meant that they weren't punched as free goods. Right, right. So they could sell them. Wow. And I said, um, Morris, I don't, I, I'm not the record company. I really, but we settled at 10,000 copies, which I bought from the record company it cost. <laughs> really? it gave him and it was like. <laughs> bought your life. And luckily a few months later, Tommy Vistola got caught on camera in Philadelphia um, beating up a record store guy who hadn't paid his bill to Moish with a baseball bat and Shit. went to jail for the rest of his life. Um, Still in jail? I think he died in he jail. Died. He may be around if he is, he'll probably come after me, but. <laughs> so is okay. that when you became a Buddhist? Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> but that was my only real. You know, there's so much talk. You see vinyls. You see all this stuff. Right. It never really was. It. You know, there were thugs, but it wasn't this organized. You know, that was my only brush in 40 years of doing it, of like real organized crime stuff. So did you did you have personal relationships with all of your clients? Because I mean, it, no. I mean, at some point, you had like 40 at yeah. the same time, correct? Yeah. No, I, I... So I, what about like Rick James? Like Rick how? James I had a very personal relationship with. I would say Rick, Teddy, Alice, um, Raquel to some extent. Mm -hmm. um, those were really my closest. There were some that I had no... Re and, and some of the African artists, Johnny Clegg. Right. Um, King Sonny Day was the most elegant oh, human wow. being I've ever been around in my life. Mm-hmm. Magic Fashik was just a joy. Right. Um, so, um, but there were many I didn't. Luther, I did not have a close relationship with. Really? At all? We but lived, you were with uh, him at all times, though. I was with him twenty years or so. We lived ten blocks from each other. He never was at my house. Wow! Um, really? Yeah. I uh, mean, did you have a liaison? Like, surely yeah, someone had, a, had to be in that circle. I had a too. liaison for every act. Okay. Um, I used to tell acts. I'd say, you know, the biggest waste of my time is talking to you on the phone about you need four Coca-Colas, mm. you know, then I'm not doing my job. So I charge 20%. Mm -hmm. If you don't need me to be in your face all the time, I will get someone that you can beat up whenever you want to beat them up. <laughs> <laughs> and I'll only charge you 15%. Mm. And everybody went for 15%. <laughs> I never had wow. anybody say, no, I want you for 20 <laughs> But it was true. My, my job is getting ahead of the artist but a year or two and telling them where to go. And if I'm spending my time talking about, like, I didn't have the right light in my dressing room last night. You know I like pink lights. Not They had a blue light. Could you believe they had a blue light? Um, well, I can, I can imagine that, especially after the massive success of Street Songs um, and the dawning of MTV, that... Rick James really wanted to be ushered into, you know, the 80s the, the same way that Michael mm -hmm. and Prince, Prince yeah. got their due. So, I mean, how, what was that whole scenario like? I mean, was there a pressure on you like to 
get me on MTV. And I mean, no, no, not from Rick. But we were doing so good that I didn't, he didn't need to. Um, we had it was a great career. It was I mean, heavy. he complained about it a lot, though. You know, on MTV, never to me. I never, never really got it from. Uh, but he may have to the guy who worked for me. He may have. Um, but he made he was we were headlining those Budweiser festivals and right it was good times boy he was a great guy I really loved very smart man yeah my my uh, my Rick James story was at, at the House of Blues uh, me Common and Rosario Dawson went to go see Rick and or it was really the Tina Marie show okay but Rick just happened to be there and uh, they got out and did Fire and Desire and everything it was like 1999 okay anyway so we're up. Uh, backstage, and Rick comes in with Leon Isaac Kennedy. Wow. Holy shit! And, <laughs> <laughs> so the thing is, who was married to you, like a beautiful girl? Wasn't yeah, she? Jane Kennedy. Jane Kennedy. Jane Kennedy. Jane Kennedy. Have you ever you. seen that sex tape? Yeah. Well, all right. This, this <laughs> one, this, Here we go. This, this is where I'm leading to. Okay. Right. This is where I'm leading to. Now, Rick saw me. Rick saw me walking with Rosario, right? Okay. But after a while, like me and Tina started talking a lot about, like I'm, I'm geeking out, or whatever. So at some point, Rick comes up to me, and I was like, and he gives me this firm handshake, and I was like, "Yo, man, like, I I can't even believe you like know who I am." He's like, "Of course I knew you are, motherfucker. You one of <laughs> you were the one of funkiest motherfuckers walking on earth right now." <laughs> and he said, "But I should tell you something." Now at this point, oh, he shit. points around my peripheral, and Leon is over there rapping to Rosario. Okay. Now, I mean, we we cool. Like, she wasn't my date or anything. Yeah, yeah. But Rick don't know that. He says, he points to Leon. He says, you know that motherfucker over there? I says, that's uh, Leon Isaac Kennedy, right? He's like, yeah. He's like, is that your lady? And, you know, I was I was like, well, you know, I'm, we, we, we're cool. But, yeah. you know, he's like, um, if you know what that motherfucker's hands have been, I'd go get your lady right now. <laughs> <laughs> Nice to meet you guys. Goodbye. (laughs) (laughs) All right, y'all. You know what season it is. Tis the season for spring breaking and planning our summer travel. And if you're like me, you're already in your Airbnb app trying to find which spot is right for you. Now, listen, while I'm looking to spend all this money, what I'm not doing is thinking about making money with Airbnb. See, you got to change your mind state. Make the money while you're spending the money. How, you say, Laia, do I make the money? Well, you host at your house. And I know what you're thinking. I mean, my whole house? Uh, Well, no, you don't have to do your whole house. I mean, you could do a room or, you know, do the whole house. So make some money while you're spending some money this summer. I'm trying to tell you, your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at Airbnb.com slash host. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. 
Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. I bumped into Dave Chappelle uh, recently and... I told him we were interviewing you and, you know, I reminded him that you have managed Rick James. And um, I was there the day that we actually shot uh, Rick's portion of the interview. And uh, he was actually, I think, the, the first or the second person that we showed the final sketch to. And, uh, you know. He loved it. He Yeah, yeah he, he yeah. loved it. We we got no complaints from him. Rick was, um, uh, the, way I, the way I started with Rick, I was in my office one day. And this, my door gets thrown open, and uh, <laughs> he just thrown open, just thrown open, like worked his way right through the receptionist. Just came to the thing. He goes, "You motherfucker, you Chef Gordon motherfucker! I know more about you than you know about you." Really? <laughs> and I said, what, "Who are you?" And he said, "Motherfucker, I'm Rick James. I'm from Buffalo, New York. You went to school in Buffalo, New York. You lived on Main Street. You ate it. Th- you did." He like had it wow. down. And I said, "Hold, what are you doing?" He said, "He's good. What do I do?" I'm the fucking baddest motherfucker you ever came across in your fucking life. What do you mean? What do I do? Wow! <laughs> and he and he had a hit record on Motown at the, on the, So you Motown. and I had already been out, and yeah, you and I was out. He had the he had just um, was just about to sign the Mary Jane girls uh, to Barry. Okay. And he said, motherfucker, I got these girls that are going to be even fucking bigger than me, and you're going to do their deal. I'm throwing you in the pit with Barry. And that was my first meeting. I went to some penthouse on Sunset, and Barry was playing pool. And um, really, yeah. And and uh, Rick said, "This is the motherfucker who's going to squeeze you for more money you ever given anybody." <laughs> <laughs> so, so what was so what was that like with Barry? Y'all, we were talking. It earlier. was a, what was I, he like in, as a I, I never, like gambling I, huff or whatever. I never before. really got to know him. Okay, um, he was very. Um, he dismissed me, right? I mean, he really dismissed me. I was out of that. He, he is very dismissive. Oh, yeah. He dismissed me in a sec, but we held out, and he came around, and we made the deal, and uh, he paid him. Um, I th- he was, Barry was, um, my impression, and I, I didn't know him well, and I, I can't say this mm-hmm. with 100% certainty, but um, he would fuck you to your face, not to your back. He cut a really hard deal. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you got to respect that. And you got to respect it. And he delivered the goods. He got you the hit records. He did the stuff he had to do. But it was all about Barry, and he wasn't sharing. Mm-hmm. And he was vocal about I can deal with anybody if they're honest. They tell you what the game is. You want to get dealt in, you know, you get you have a choice. Did he at least respect that Rick, Rick's celebrity and his status at the time was going to carry Motown to the 80s? I don't know. I mean, with the exception of Lionel yeah. and Stevie. Yeah. yeah, nah, that was it. Yeah, for, I don't for, know. For yeah. I really don't know. After, I, Rick ended up dealing more with them than I did. Um, really? Rick, yeah, Rick had a good relationship with them. Um, I was the white kid on the block who was trying to steal from him. And <laughs> so I let Rick, I would 
I would wind Rick up and send him in rather than go in myself. I'd say, you know, here's what we got to get and here's what I need. And, and the Mary Jane girls had a hit. The first record was a hit. So, mm-hmm. Yeah, um, both of those records. Yeah. yeah, so they were real happy with them. But so you was, orchestrated both those albums? I wouldn't say I orchestrated. I made the deal. I made the deal for him to allow him to hit, but I didn't have any real influence on it. Rick, Rick was very much in control of his career. Um, he was very strong. He's one of the smartest artists I've ever worked with. So with the exception of maybe Freddie Demand, if I'm... Who, by the way, I think is maybe the best manager of my in my lifetime. Really? Yeah. Well... With the exception of Freddie Demand, I, I don't Demand know where was, I don't, he was. Well, he managed Freddie the Jacksons, okay. uh, and then he did Michael's launch, the uh, solo launch, Madonna. Yeah, yeah, Madonna from as Jump well. Street, right. right from Jump Street, and brought back Lionel Richie. Oh, wow. and he would only do one or two acts at a time. That's all he needed. That's yeah, all he needed. But acts, he though. did the, he did the job. I mean, he really. I, I uh, my respect level for him is unbelievable. I mean, I, I, I always, when people ask me, I always say Freddie the man was the guy. Because, well, yeah. well, I was going to say between Jerry Goldsmith and Freddie Demand. Well, <laughs> well okay, let me leave Jerry Goldsmith out. I'm sorry. Okay, I'm sorry. Jerry, Jerry Goldsmith. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. I got to try and stop laughing. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Well, no, I mean. Okay, so who was Jerry Goldsmith? Uh, he had War, Sly. Uh, the Animals. Yeah, oh, Eric Burton. Okay. Eric Burton. Yeah. yeah, but I'm just saying that a lot of, of, a lot of lawsuits. Ah, okay, <laughs> a lot. that's too late. Okay. However, I'm saying that if I am a black act that's looking to crossover, and crossover was definitely on the minds of a lot of black acts yep. in the '70s, how to break out of the Chitlin circuit mm-hmm. and really one generate money for myself, but like staying power. I mean, it, are you are you the are you the 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 golden child that will? Is it either you or Freddie that's the golden child that will take you there? Or yeah, I think they were. And they, is it based on the relationships you have with radio stations? And I think yeah, in a way of thinking, um, I think there were a couple of other guys. Um, I'm trying to think of the guys who did Earth, Wind, and Fire, Cavallo, oh, Ruffalo, Cavallo, Ruffalo, 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 yeah. They yeah. were they they had found the highway to go down to the where they could do stuff like that. There were a few people, um, but I, you know, also radio was hungry for it. They were really hungry for it. It wasn't a hard sell. Um, it, 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 uh, was radio hungry for music? Like now, radio's hungry for you to buy their the product that they're advertising. Right. So it's not music centric more than it is getting you know you to hear the commercials and getting kids to hear their parents to hear the commercials to buy the product. Like music is almost an afterthought for radio, right. uh, which is why we get the same fifteen songs in yeah. rotation. But are you saying that there's a point where radio was truly interested in? I wouldn't say truly interested because I I don't know if they're capable of that. FM was, but pop AM radio. But they found that those records worked on their stations. Okay. Um, so you you know you, the game was always buying your way on. But you couldn't just buy your way on. You had a see. No. I always thought you could buy your way on. Oh no! I'll tell you a great a Philly story. Great, a really funny. Everything's happening in Philly. Baseball yeah, bats yeah, and so so. Uh, I'm a young punk. Alice has a hit record. Comes time for the second record, and um, the record company's not going to do anything. They're just not going. They just told you this. 
No, but you can tell. You know, you know by the signs they're not taking any ads out. There's no independents hired for the single. Um, that's just you know the telltale signs. So I'm not going to let them stop me. So I'm just going to buy my way on. I had some cash. And so the most powerful guy at the time in radio was out of Philadelphia, Freddie DiCipio. Mm-hmm. Um, he was probably the the uh, most effective guy. He was you could pay him and you got a hit record. Um, so I went to Freddie, and he had never heard of me. I got introduced, I think, by maybe Albert Grossman or somebody on a phone call. There were no emails or anything like that. And I told him the story, and it's Alice, and how much is it? And in those days, they used to charge by Parallel 1, Parallel 2, Parallel 3. Parallel 1 was a big station, so maybe that was a $10,000 buy. Parallel 2 was a smaller station, maybe a $5,000 buy. Um, so I wanted the Parallel 1 station. I paid him 10000 And first week, we're 27 like oh my god this is the greatest we're gonna you know we're getting around the record company right and the second week we're 25 it's moving up the charts this is fantastic third week it drops off the chart mm. 25 to out in the record business wow. once you lose your momentum no other station in the country is going to pick you up wow. if you don't that's so i the record was over maybe a year later i found out what the game was the station only played 20 songs but oh. he sold 30 slots. Wow. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, of course, there were no sales. The record never got played. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so I paid 10000 to kill the record. Just to be in the, in the bottom <laughs> To kill it. I killed it. <laughs> oh, well, lesson learned. Yeah, good, good lesson learned. Yeah. Oh, man. Lesson learned. Yeah. There's, um, a, there's always a curtain behind the curtain. <laughs> so and and then I'm 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 now now I'm putting two two together the fact that you managing Stephanie Mills explains her presence on the Teddy records. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh hard, you managing hard, the Callaway brothers and Midnight Star explains yeah. their presence on I want to be rich and I want to want a great talk. I yeah, love that. I, I want to be rich. <laughs> was that was that your concept? Yeah, yeah, completely. <laughs> Full of love, peace, and happiness. Oh man, <laughs> that was my mom's anthem that year. Well, I can't. I mean, not completely, but the thought was there. You know, it was like, come on, let's just say it. <laughs> wow, and it happened. Um, I got it. I mean. I have so many my my experience with Luther Vandross. I mean, as as a person who was immersed in hip hop, whatever. I mean, Luther Vandross was the definition of smooth R and B. Yeah, yeah. Kind of the answer, like the complete opposite of of what hip hop represented. But I mean, I still respected it. Um, but Luther's live show mm. was like my mom would physically describe yeah. every moment, and yeah. this is the from Lisa Fisher the all ball the, gown. to yeah, Fonzie gown. Thornton yes. to all these uh, things. Fonzie, love Fonzie. Yeah. So what is, I mean, the of, of Luther at his, at his peak, at the peak of his, his powers, which, I mean, I guess you could say the night. Is it the night I fell in love or is it give me the reason? I mean. Yeah, they were all so powerful. Yeah, yeah. give me the reason. Yeah. I mean, God, that was. So. Yeah. I mean, what, what I fell in love was probably my personal. I mean, uh, yeah, yeah, it's my yeah, yeah my yeah. personal favorite yeah. too. 
So, but I also knew that he was notorious for being very meticulous yeah. and like harder than James Brown. Yeah. Like fines yeah. and oh, no, he no spot nor wrinkle. Oof. Where does that come from? Like how you know, that, that level of discipline that I've never heard of before. Yeah, like, I, I've never seen anything like it. It was it. You know, I, I, my reputation, most, many of the artists hired me because I wrote and directed the stage shows, and um, that was my joy. That was my. Oh, friend. really? Yeah. So I that did, I didn't know. I did the Earth, Wind, and Fire pyramid show. I did the first oh, Kiss wow. show. I loved doing shows and doing productions, and I knew how to get standing ovations, and that was a lot of my value to most of my artists. Luther would, would not let me come to see him until he had broken the show in. Mm. So I would never allowed to come to the first four, five, six shows because he wanted it to be perfect. And I'd say to him, you know, my job is to help you make it perfect. And it, he, would, he was in complete control of every second on that stage, every single light, every wardrobe change, um, and did it as good as, I mean, as good as you could possibly do it. Um, fanatic about it, but, and drove a very hard ship. You know, if someone was a second late, they were toast. If wow. they were off on a queue somewhere, if a lighting queue went down, um, that guy was toast that night. He was just, you know, brought into the dressing room and dressed down. He needed everything absolutely perfect. And he was perfect every night, so he could demand it. He hit his marks every night. He was Everything was, you could almost overlay one show to the other with Luther. You could time it with the clock. Yeah. And, yeah. And, wow. Yeah. One question I always had in regards to Luther and, um, you know, it was a lot of talk about well, I know where we're like going. His, yeah, yeah. His, <laughs> his sexuality. I was you right know with I mean? you. Um, you know, uh, as a kid of the '80s, you know, my mother. I mean, that was the soundtrack to my childhood, mm -hmm. and no one cared. You know, what I'm saying cared. Like nobody Johnny cared Mathis. at all. No. Yeah, mm -hmm. like no one right. cared at all. We just wanted to hear him sing. Um, as a manager, was that something that presented a challenge for you, or was no. it how, how did it, how did you handle that? Didn't present a challenge at all. The only the part of it that presented a challenge to me um, wasn't professional; was personal. Mm -hmm. um, I never felt that he was joyful, <laughs> and I I I felt that a lot of that lack of joy was that he didn't have any relationships in his life. Mm. He didn't. That, that I know of, there was no male relationship, there was no female relationship, there were no relationships. Um, and that, was, for me, was the hard part because I wanted to be happy and enjoy a success. Well, even with you, like, was there a guard between you guys? Yeah, was... completely, yeah. And I strictly never, business? And... Strictly business. Don't even, didn't really know who he was. Um, you never had one candid conversation or? Never had a real conversation. How did he seek you yeah. out to man, or how did you end up managing him? Um, he, uh, the record company called me up, and he called me up. He, he, uh, we had a mutual business manager, um, and he loved the work I did. And we took a meeting, and he did, we we joined up, and um, I had a guy in my office that took care of him, and um, we never we had no real relationship at all. Um, we we actually. He's the only artist that um, I worked with and had no communication with. A, a point in time came when he wouldn't talk to me. Wow. And it was about the last three years of our relationship that I managed him, and I would send him notes and say, listen, you don't have to stay with me. And he said, no, no, you, you're the right guy. I just... Um, don't want to talk? Yeah, you know, he was, a, he, he was a different kind of a guy, Luther. Um, I, I tend to... Well, in, in light of the... 
unfortunate events that have happened in 2016, uh, I'm seeing a, a common denominator with well, one particular icon that yeah. for this episode remain nameless, <laughs> who's notoriously very secret, secretive and very guarded. Um, and I guess in light of his demise, the things that we found out about his life and yeah. what caused his exit, you know, that's a secret. That's a, you know, now I get why everything was so secretive and, yeah. you know, when you're mm -hmm. hiding something. So maybe I'm just thinking that he wasn't ready to be vulnerable in front of possible. Yeah. But you even, or, with, even with who you're mentioning, I feel like we knew more about his past with Luther. I don't feel like we know a lot about who Luther was. I don't like, think he really knew who he was. Wow. You know, I think um, he lived for his career. Um, he lived for that moment on stage. That's when he, that's when he knew what to do. Um, and I think, you know, you can see the issues with the weight going up and down, mm -hmm. how it translates, and, you know, you just see certain things. Um, but he was a great artist, and um, I'm, I'm honored that I worked with mm -hmm. him. There's one thing that a lot of the public doesn't know. Um, you're responsible for, or I guess by accident, you're responsible for uh, Deborah Harry and Chris Stein meeting Fat Five Freddy. Well, yeah, I was sort of part of the team. I wouldn't say responsible, but part of it. Wow. We were searching for, um, we were searching for a new single. What do we do for a new single? And um, they were very culturally significant. Mm -hmm. um, they were they were a real product of the times, so we were looking for something to hang our hat on that was more significant than just the song, and um, we had heard about this thing that was going on up in Harlem, um, cardboard boxes on the floor, <laughs> beatboxes, mm -hmm. guys dancing, and we said let's go take a look, let's see what this is all about. And we got a guy to take us up. We went up by train, and when we this it. Just that casual? It was that casual. There's yeah. no concern it like... Was Chris, Debbie, myself on a train. Subway. They liked the subway. They were subway kind of right. people. And um, we got off the station and there was a guy spray painting the wall. Right. And um, it was really early in the game and it was really cool. And Debbie said, wow, is that cool? So we started to walk over to him to talk to him. And he started to... Not run, but move away from us really fast. <laughs> and he got on the next train when it came. So we jumped on the train. And now we're all trapped on the train. And it was Fab Five Freddy. Wow. And wow. he then, we, you know, we said, we're not cops. We're not busting you. It's, it's all good. And he took us back um, to see the dancing. And then he sort of. He was of, your tour guide. He was the tour guide. And then he sort of, you know, if you remember the video, he's in, he's yeah, in the background the whole time painting. painting, painting yeah. You know, Fab Five Freddy with do do do. Yeah. Uh -huh. That's yeah. That's that to me is amazing. I mean, it was a landmark moment. It was Eric you know? Eric Thorngren. Okay, was the guy who took us up there. He was the engineer on Grandmaster Flash's record. Okay, and he was he was the one we went to, to and then he took us to Harlem. That's so, amazing. So, and, and I think he engineered that record. Maybe he may have. I'm not sure. I think Chapman produced it, but Eric may have come. Makes in. sense. Wow. Yeah. And uh, well, later that year, also uh, when Blondie hosted Saturday Night Live, they insisted that um, the Funky Four Plus One yep. be the musical guest. So that was a fight. Oh, really? That was a fight. <laughs> How so? 
Um, nobody really well, knew. Well, no one knew who they yeah, were. Yeah, nobody ever heard them. Yeah, it was like. <laughs> Damn. No, but that, that to me, that was a, a an amazing moment. Like, I remember that doing uh -huh. the first run of, 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 of seeing that. Did you ever think at any point in time of managing hip hop artists, or no. was that never wanted to? No, no, never, um, never appealed to me. I didn't like. Um, I, I started to see the thug element come into the music business. Mm -hmm. The backstage rhythm changed completely. Um, the attitude of the artist, posse started to happen. Um, never had to deal with posses before that. <laughs> Jesus Christ! Wait, you say that and I. I didn't know that you started Carlos and Charlie's. Yeah. <laughs> like, these are the things you learn. Like, I'm casually mentioned, like, Carlos and Charlie's was, like, the go-to Hollywood spot. Okay. And he's like, oh, I, I co-own that. And I was like, huh? And I only know of it because of Eddie Murphy. Uh, oh, my God. Every Eddie Murphy story I've ever heard and Prince story. Starts with Carlos and Charlie's, like even even that those Rick James I have, Chappelle. Story. I have yeah, a yeah, great yeah. Eddie Murphy story at Carlos and Charlie. Yeah, we, it, again, it was there when posse's didn't really exist. Um, the first posse that I saw with my eyes was uh, Thomas Hearns came to the club with a posse, mm -hmm. and you know I don't think they were called posse, but he had like six guys with them who hanger horns. Yeah, and they moved like a wave, you know. They so um, Eddie Murphy had a posse. And he comes one night into the club. He came almost every night to the club. But he comes in this one night, and the club was very empty. And there's a little white kid on the dance floor with his girl. And the posse comes through like this and hits the guy and sort of breaks his nose. Oh, wow. And there's nobody in the club, and there's nothing going on. And he starts giving them shit with his nose bleeding. It's coming down. They call. I was downstairs having dinner. They called me upstairs. And now for the next 30 minutes is this ridiculous escapade of... Eddie Murphy trying to get to this kid to beat him up because he's talking disrespectfully to his people. <laughs> My guards are, are around him, keeping him, you know, away from getting hurt. Yeah. And it's just really stupid. And I go over to Eddie and I said, "Look, I didn't know him well, but I said, listen, man, you won the game. You're rich. Like, you, you won it. You don't have to beat the, the kids. Look at his nose. He's like, you know, it weighs 100 pounds. You really don't have to do this. You won. Just calm down. And he wouldn't let go, and I, so I called the police. I had a sergeant with him, and we got him arrested. And wow. he went to jail. And um, it's about five thirty in the morning. My phone rings at my house, and it's the guy named Don Simpson. And he says, uh, "Chef, you still on Carlos and Charlie's?" And I said, "Yeah." He said, "You got to help me. Uh, I'm starting a movie this morning, and my lead actor Eddie Murphy is in jail." <laughs> Guess <laughs> so, the movie was, was Beverly Hills Cop. <laughs> oh shit! <laughs> oh, so this is the, this is the best part of the story. So. I call up the sergeant and I say, I'm really sorry. We got to get him out of jail. Now you got to get the charges dropped. I'm not going to charge it. You know, no one's going to, I got the kid. So he goes down to the jail and he calls me up. He says, okay, the motherfucker won't leave the cell. We said, you're out, you're out of here. And he said, if you want me out of here, then I'm staying here. <laughs> <laughs> he just had to have the he last, had to the have last, the last word. Oh my God, man. <laughs> All right, y'all. You know what season it is. Tis the season for spring breaking and planning our summer travel. And if you're like me, you're already in your Airbnb app trying to find which spot is right for you. Now, listen, while I'm looking to spend all this money, what I'm not doing is thinking about making money with Airbnb. See, you got to change your mind state. 
make the money while you're spending the money. How, you say, Laia, do I make the money? Well, you host at your house. And I know what you're thinking. I mean, my whole house? Uh, Well, no, you don't have to do your whole house. I mean, you could do a room or, you know, do the whole house. So make some money while you're spending some money this summer. I'm trying to tell you, your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of. A degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global. Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. I always wondered, did hip-hop come around and bite you a little bit personally? Because we found out in the documentary, um, Supermensch, that you ended up adopting uh, two of your ex-girlfriend's grandchildren. Four of your ex-girlfriend's grandbabies. And they're of a certain age being raised in the 80s and 90s and stuff. So I just wonder at some point. I can remember there was a great moment. It's funny you bring that up because it's exactly, there was this great moment when, you know, I I built my life on with Alice by trying to get parents to hate them. Mm. That was my goal. Mm. And now it's 10 or 15 years later, the kids are getting you know, I have these four kids. They're young. They're staying in the bedroom next to me You're the at parent. my house. And I come walking by and I hear hip-hop for the first time. Mm-hmm. And I open the door and I go, what is this shit you're listening to? <laughs> and as Alice I, Cooper, Dad. Yeah, and as I say it, I realize, oh, my God. This is exactly, they're going to, that's ex- that's it. And what's, their, is, what's the oldest kid? How old? Uh, now 35. At okay. that time, it was maybe Oh, so 10, back then. Yeah. Oh, prime. Like 10, 12. They were prime. prime. Oh, yeah. No, they... The dungarees were always, you know, the underwear was showing. It was every single thing. If the, they were Yo MTV raps, was all they cared about. Wow, that was, you know, that was their life. And so, <laughs> but I knew it right then. As soon as I said the, when those words came out of my mouth, I said, "It's the music business is changing because if I can't stand it, it's going to be the biggest thing ever." Then it works. Wow, yeah. it works. Wow. So, probably the biggest lesson that I learned. I mean. The point where I realized, like, oh, this is a lesson that I have to learn is the fact that you had to walk away from it and really just let go, which Mm -hmm. to think about that right now for me is like, that's one of the scariest things because you think, like, this is all I have. Like, this is all, you know, I don't have a lineage or that sort of thing, and it's just like, well, I've made a commitment to the music business, so this is all I've got. 
I mean, at what point did you, like, did it take having to go to the hospital where it's just No, like, no, mine was completely different. I had a, um, I've always done knee-jerk reactions. I've never been a planner. Um, I plan for my artists, for my own life. I've always, re you know, I wake up in the morning, I react. And I had a uh, premiere at Universal Studios for one of my movies, big red carpet premiere. Mm -hmm. Klieg lights are flying and, you know, all that stuff. And I was bored to death, like so bored. You know, I just couldn't wait to get out of there. Mm -hmm. uh, go see CNN, do anything. But it was, you know, the same old, same old, same old for me. And um, the next day I flew to Maui and I was alone on my hammock having a drink at sunset. And every molecule in my body was ecstatic. Like ecstatic. I can't even describe how happy. And I said to myself, you know, you're miserable there. You're happy here. What are you doing? Mm. It's pretty simple. Like, what's life all about? I worked so hard to get happy. And I found what makes me happy, and I'm not doing it. And I went to the office about four days later and resigned from everybody and told them the story. And I said, you know. You I, don't have a fear of missing out? We call it a, not at a all. FOMO. Like, yeah. you didn't have a. Because it's. To me, it was sort of false gods anyway. Hmm. You know, it's um, it's it's like fool's gold. I mean, I've always had that awareness that we're in the entertainment business. It really doesn't matter. And it is sort of fool's gold. Mm. And it's fun and it's great and it provides great stuff. But it's not, you know, it's not curing cancer. Um, and And for me as a manager, what I also realize is that I had, up until that point, I had spent my life living other people's lives, and I had no idea what my life actually was. Like, if, I'm, if I don't have to go to the office, am I going to be bored to death? Am I going to like myself? Am I going to hate myself? Maybe I'm going to get married, like what I always wanted to do, but I never, mm -hmm. never happened. Um, let me find out what my journey is, maybe. What I found out is that there's no difference. Like, my life is com absolutely not different retiring not retiring mm. i probably if i get a second life and could do it again i probably wouldn't retire i would find a way to have the two live with each other because um, there were great advantages to, for me to be in the traffic um, i still love to think of something and then make it happen mm -hmm. um, to create something out of that doesn't exist and i did a big benefit monday night for um, a chef roger verger with about 20 chefs and in the early days, I could do that with a staff in my office. So right. I could think of it. Now it's just me. So the effort is gigantic. The result is probably less than it might be with a great staff. Um, and I still do the same stuff. But you're not retired either. Exactly. Technically, you're, you're not. Well, I manage Alice, but in my brain, I thought I was retired. <laughs> but, but even with, <laughs> yeah, even but, with yeah. the chefs. And I mean, yeah, he's, he's taking himself yeah. out of, that, out of the, the, the hustle and bustle of... Yeah. Like, yeah. did you personally have a one-on-one -on -one with all your clientele, or was it just like I a called every? I did it on the phone. Um, I called them all. The only, I, I Luther, who I hadn't spoken to in a couple of years, um, was a, was the only one that was sort of upset. Okay. Um, and then when I was so I, I I woke I got back to L.A. I called Alice and I said, uh, "Where are you?" He said, "I'm in L.A." I said, will you pick me up today for lunch because I want to get really drunk and I don't want to drive. <laughs> <laughs> and he said, what's wrong? And I said, nothing wrong, but I'm going to resign from everybody, but not mm -hmm. you. But And I, I really don't I want to get whacked. 
And um, so I called um, all the clients, everybody was, and I told them the truth. You know, I said, I want to find out who I am. I don't, I have no idea what my life is. And how old were you at this point? I was 57, 56, maybe. Wow. 55, 56. How much grace time do you give them? Like, okay, so No, what, a- what I said to him was, you know, you can use the office. Okay. Um, use my guys if you want. Um, so I can, alive, I still running? Yeah, I, I can find you somebody else. Okay. If you'd like, I'll give you a list. I'll go to the interviews with you and hmm. really help you get through it. I just, I got to find out who I am. You know, this is for me, not about you. And um, everybody was, was happy. Luther wasn't, but he sort of understood. And as I was leaving the office with Alice, the phone rang. And my secretary said, you got to take this call. And I said, I'm not taking any more calls. It's over, done. <laughs> I'm going to You're going. And I said, no, no, you, you really got to take this call. And it was George Harrison who had just wow. found the, um, the basement tapes. The John Lennon song, Free as a Bird. Right. And he said, um, you think any record company will put this stuff out? And I said, <laughs> do I think any nah. record company? <laughs> Beatles, nah, get out of here. He turned out to be close to right. It was a fight. Oh, really? A fight. A real tough fight. To but a fight the, for you guys to get a new Beatles song Capital out? didn't want to resign him. What? Um, it was... It was it's a long. It, it's a whole other story, and it's a long one. But it was Gary Gersh era Capital. Uh, he, I, I hired Gary at Capital when, at that, <laughs> during that. You see what I mean? Right, right, right. During yeah. that. Do period, you know this guy named Gary Gersh? Yeah. Uh, he was at yeah. Capital during that period of time. During that period of time, with so um, anyway, I, I ended up um, making the deal with Capital, which wasn't easy for him, and doing uh, working on the BBC tapes and the anthology. Um, and Luther freaked out. You told me you were resigning. Mm. <laughs> now, now you're doing the Beatles. How did he find out? He found out. I have no idea. He, he rewrote his biography and took me out of it. I was very heavily in the first printing. <laughs> oh, wow. And in the second printing. Petty. <laughs> I was like, Petty. Petty. <laughs> I didn't Petty exist. Riley. <laughs> Tom Petty. Petty Pendergrass. Don't mess with the queen. <laughs> Petty Petty Pendergrass. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my God! <laughs> well, I'm more amazed that a new Beatles song. Well, there's a there's a long history here. So here's sort of the let me give you the cover of it. The, here's the cover. Okay. Um, Capital EMI, an electronics company that happened to be in the music business, but mm-hmm. Thorn EMI was the core of their business. Okay. They made refrigerators, um, defense stuff. They were basically a science um, patent owner company. And they hired a guy named, they bought a company from a fellow named Colin Southgate and um, made him chairman of Thorny MI, part of the purchase. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> he gets the job. He's in the job for three weeks. He goes, what they call Wall Street in England, the street. Right. So he goes to make his first speech to the street. And the announcement is that they've re-signed the Beatles. Ah. Uh. In the press conference, right. during the press conference, as he's saying, we re-signed the Beatles, a warrant server comes up to him and gives him a lawsuit from the Beatles to get off the label. <laughs> what, what, this is his geez. first time as head of the company addressing the street. So for him, I never want to see the Beatles. When the contract's over, get rid of the Beatles. Don't ever want them near here. Can't stand them. What? Hate them. So now the now the contract's up. 
at that point, guys who were running the company uh, were more interested in their bonuses mm-hmm. than in, um, you know, they they shut the black music department at Capitol Records. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, just I, to get to their bonuses. I remember. Yeah. Um, if they would have, the Beatles wanted $42 million to resign, which they deserved. If they had given them that money, they wouldn't have gotten their bonuses. Yeah, the bonuses yeah. So I had the chairman, the president, <laughs> and the vice president all against resigning the Beatles. And um, it was wild. So to them, it's more of a headache. Than- yeah, they didn't want to deal with it. They just didn't, and they didn't care. They wanted their bonus. Then I could, they couldn't care less. I couldn't imagine yeah. none of the Beatles' music being on any other label other local, than, than Capitol. Capitol. Yeah. yeah. So um, anyway, we made it work, but um, wow, it was amazing. it was pretty wild. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I mean, you know, I I can go on forever and ever, but um, you know, all all good things come to an end. Yeah. And uh, this was fun, guys. Man, oh, yeah, this has like been the greatest this motivational was really fun. speech. Yeah, like this yeah. is man. So one question I did have. So now you know what does managing Alice Cooper look like now? Like on a it's, day-to-day basis, what, um, what does that entail? I don't, it doesn't occupy the whole day, Okay, but I still wake up in the morning thinking about how to enhance his career, hmm. and I go to sleep at night thinking about how to enhance the career. Um, recently, we just um, put him in a band with Johnny Depp that I created, which was great for his profile, great, John, it, was, it was a win-win. Johnny's a musician who always wanted a tour, Mm-hmm. I'm always looking for a way to make Alice current um, and give it an, an extra twist. So that was perfect. Um, now we're running it for president. We have a great campaign for get Alice elected. And we, <laughs> <laughs> he's on the Might wa- as well. Cause, he's, uh, on, he's on the wild up. party. Slim Pickens. <laughs> the, uh, his platform is um, Groucho Marx on a $50 bill. Uh, Lemmy on Mount Rushmore. Wow. One selfie allowed a year. Uh, prison sentence for anyone talking in a movie theater. Okay. Um, that's his platform. I'm with him so far. Man. Um, so I, I, it, it's, you know, Alice is, um, everybody in their life should have a relationship like Alice. Um, it's just, we've, it's been an amazing 45 years and he gives me the freedom to fail, which mm. gives me the freedom to be creative. Well, I, I have to say, uh, you are probably, I mean, the textbook guru of, 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 of all gurus. I mean, <laughs> I, there's, there's no person that I've not made watch this documentary over and over again. And, and you've been very, very generous, uh, and, and your wisdom and everything. I really would like to thank you, Chef Gordon, for just being here, man. Thank you. Well, thank you uh, for having thank me. Thank you for doing Quest Love Supreme. Thank you. You guys are great. Really fun. Quest Love Supreme is a production of iHeartRadio. This classic episode was produced by the team at Pandora. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Are you on the hunt for a new home this spring? 
but don't know where to start? Fisher Homes is your solution. Your new home should reflect you from the front door to the kitchen and even your outdoor space. Start your journey by selecting your ideal home site, like in a cul-de-sac or that's tree-lined, and then choose from a variety of expertly designed floor plans. Bring it all together at our Lifestyle Design Center. Let Fisher Homes be your new home solution this spring and start making memories at fisherhomes.com. Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited-time 2% cashback on purchases. And pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. At JCPenney, fashion counts for everybody and everybody. The weather is getting warmer and it's time to swap my winter layers for fun, vibrant, and cool clothing with so many fun things happening this spring like Mother's Day and the Wind Down Tour. It's hard to find great looking clothes that fit you just right. That's why I love JCPenney. JCPenney has so many stylish and comfortable options for so many different body types. I've been blown away by their selection and everything hugs my body in all the right spots. Refresh your wardrobe this spring with style that gets you. Something to wear that fits your favorite moments of the season at prices that feel just as good. Discover brands that get you and put style and comfort first, like Worthington and Liz Claiborne for her, each in women's petite and plus sizes. Here, spring comes in all shapes, sizes, and colors. JCPenney, make everybody count.